Hey, Andrew. Hey, Greg. How? Uh, we all know how it's going. It's going bad. Poorly. It's going real bad. Yeah, it's not great. <laughs> it's going real bad out there. Um, so, um... It's been a minute. It's It has. Um, I know that, for me at least, um, I've had two kind of countervailing forces uh, that have gone against podcast work. One is, uh, that work, my, my, my professional life has just been so busy and it's taken up a lot of my kind of creative energies because we're in an unprecedented, uh, business environment. And, um, which means that for guys like me who are in charge of figuring out what's up with, you know, consumers and sales and all that stuff, um, we have to figure out a lot of new solutions to new problems um, and figure out how to even make sense of the data. So it's been taking up just a lot of like creative energy, which is good, you know, um, but that means that usually by the end of the workday, I don't have any creative juice left in the tank. Um, but the other factor has been even when I have creative juice in the tank, um, hmm, how should I uh, crushing existential despair? It's been the other part. So say both those things are <laughs> fair, <laughs> very fair. Uh, yeah. So how about you? <laughs> uh, you know, we're here. Um, I've been masking that existential despair with uh, consuming things. Mm-hmm. Do you want to hear about some of them? I think that's a good place to start. Okay. Oh, and when you say consuming, you don't just mean garbage food because that's what I've been consuming. Um, you know, I have will say that it's actually really hard to tell if I've consumed more beer. Probably I have, but uh, I've actually lost some weight. Uh, I'm I do a pretty decent job of like managing my own diet when I'm not exposed to things that I didn't purchase and make myself, mm-hmm. which in this environment is obviously better. Um, I've also been doing quite a bit of outdoor activity, walking mostly uh, because, you know, gyms aren't a thing. And who wants to do bodyweight fitness at home? Blah, no, thank you. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's been good. I mean, I, I like this week I got my over 10K steps every day this week. So uh-huh. that's pretty good. Congratulations. Thanks. Yeah. So hopefully if I can get one thing out of coming here, if I go back to work and I'm like lost like 30, 40 pounds, be like, what the fuck? <laughs> or maybe just the, uh, the everyone else is, you know, gaining weight. So maybe I'll just like the comparison alone will be like, well, maybe if I only lose 20 pounds, if everyone else gains 20 pounds. And really it's like, I lost 40 pounds. Yeah, it's all competition, yeah, right? That's <laughs> how it works. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so I, let me start from the top. So I finally did it. I finally finished the Robin Hobb Realm of the Elderlings series. Mm-hmm. I won't talk too much about it because I'm actually about halfway through an article for the website. Wow, uh, good for you. I found that drinking a couple beers really loosens the the writing gears. Hmm. So was it was it Hemingway who said, uh, "Write drunk, edit sober." Probably I, not, but I, I think it's attributed. So yeah, I think we'll, that's we'll right. Go with that. <laughs> People say Hemingway said yeah. that. Yep. Um, that's most quotes. People say this person said that. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, it was 16 books, many of which were long. Uh, but the last, the last series was, I just finished up was, uh, pretty, pretty dark at the end. Um, it was good, but it was a tough read. Um, as a father to a young daughter, I don't know that I'd recommend it to you. Good to know. I mean, it's beautiful. Like it's a it's a beautiful story, uh, but it's it's just good to know. It's a lot. Um, that's only the last last trilogy though. But in the last book, really, like 
because I you know I'll get you like the the disparate nature of the series within this larger series. They're kind of disconnected until this last book, and you really get some like I'm not going to say a, Avengers Assemble moments, but you're just like wow, I know a lot about all these characters, and they're meeting for the first time, and like this is about how I expected it would go. But <laughs> hmm. uh, yeah, so it, it was it was really interesting. I'm really glad I read it. It's one of those things that I it's a it would always be a qualified recommendation in a way that many other things I read probably would be less qualified mm-hmm. uh, just because it's it is very slow. It's very pondering and at points ponderous. Lo- I mean, whole books just take place in one one setting, like in a mm. castle or in a Oof. manor. And but she's a re- Robin Hobbs, a really great writer. Uh, her prose is really nice. It is what I feel reading those. What I f- what I hear people talk about Patrick Rothfuss. <laughs> so I'll say this. If you like him, I think you'd like these books a lot because they're like the better version of that. Because <laughs> even though the main character is like the focus of the story and good at a lot of things, he's also like bad at a lot of things and gets himself in a shit ton of trouble a lot. And like that has lasting ramifications. And there's a lot of just like mundane and comfy ways you know, someone living their life and, and trying to navigate their emotions as mm-hmm. opposed to like counting how many ducats they have in their pocket on any given day. Mm. So if you like those books, I, I would recommend these. This is the closest thing I can think of to them, I, I'd say. So and, and, you know, each series is, is a little different within it. But but yeah, so I'll, I'll have a write up for that at some point here. Uh, I finally am. I'm trying to I was getting a little bit like you said, Greg, just like not accomplishing anything and starting to try and clear that pipe a little bit so I can. I can actually accomplish some things. Yeah. I did, I did, I did my taxes today, so that was good. Ooh. The first time you. I've ever done it without a, uh, like, any sort of assistance, like a software Ooh. or a, having a, someone else do it for me, which they're usually done. But I realized, like, okay, our tax situation has gotten very simple because the standard deduction is so high now. We have nothing else besides our W-2s, basically, mm-hmm. so there's no point in me paying someone to do it. I can just go in and yeah. do it myself. Although I will say that the, uh, I was surprised that the, digital irs filing it was better than i thought it was going to be and i was pretty happy with the experience which is a strange thing to say uh but the way they handle it is if you submit it and you made a a mistake that can be caught by a robot it like emails you back and says it's been rejected and it gives you like these codes you have to look up to see what you did wrong and that happened like eight times in a row and i was like okay i'm starting to get a little frustrated (laughs) it was always right i always made a mistake and i caught it but i mean it's a good thing to do as opposed to getting it back six months later from an actual person and having to redo it or having a penalty or something. Yeah. Yeah. But also if the government knows you're wrong, I mean, this has been the problem all along, right? Government knows what the right number is. Why are you making me do it? Yeah. It's a good question. And, and the answer is because the company that I pay every year to do our taxes, TurboTax, um, lobbies uh, extensively to prevent simplifications in the tax filing process. Yep. Things yep. like what if the government – what if instead of me doing doing the ma- – basically playing guess what number I'm thinking with the federal government, <laughs> what if they just said, hey – Here's the information we have. Does this look right to you? And then I can say, yeah, seems right. Or oops, nope. Um, I, you know, you've counted my paychecks double for some reason. Let's square this up. Uh, that would make everybody's life a lot easier, but we're not going to do that. Yeah. It was also fun going from federal to state to local in that order 
and dealing with their electronic filing systems and sort of be, like seeing the decay of <laughs> yeah what the quality and how it works. And it's like, oof, this is getting rough towards the end. Yeah, I remember uh, when we lived in Lancaster, like filing Lancaster County taxes at that point, right? Because this was still, you know, you know, maybe a decade ago. Um, and it was like, you have to go to like one of these three locations to get a form. Like, but you had, it's like one of two libraries and then like a restaurant <laughs> where they had the forms and it's all like administered by like one guy. <laughs> yeah. It's bonkers. But yeah. Anyway, uh, after I finished that, I quickly read Starsight with by Brandon Sanderson, which is the second book in the Skyward trilogy that he's working on. Mm-hmm. Um, came out last year, maybe two years ago. Uh, it's on the higher, quote unquote, higher complexity end of YA stuff about a girl and her starfighter. Um, the first book ends in a pretty big reveal and the second book kind of picks up from there. And it is it is a story that moves very quickly. Uh, it's also a much shorter and easier to read book than the books I was reading before. So I crushed it pretty, pretty quickly. But I say maybe even a little too quick. It's like, whoa, there's a lot of reveals happening back to back to back and stuff's happening. You're, we went from like being stuck on this planet with like a hundred humans to like, there's 30 alien races and whatever else now. It's like, okay. Uh, but it was, it was good. I really liked it. Uh, I think that Spencer, the main character is, uh, a lot of fun to read. She's, there's this like set up in the book that humans are inherently like humans are kind of like the bad guys in this science fiction universe because mm-hmm. they've started so many wars and try to take over the galaxy so many times that everyone's like humans are innately aggressive and her interacting with other races and them just being like whoa whoa calm down missy like hmm. it's it's a, it was a it was an interesting dynamic and there was some pretty some pretty heavy things actually for the kind of book it was like when you kind of scratch this verse a little bit you're like ooh that is a statement about you know the nature of humanity or the nature of war and things like that is it's, it's pretty, pretty heavy, mm. despite it kind of being like lighter reading. Mm-hmm. So that was good. Would recommend. And then now, as far as reading wise, I am about halfway through the first book in the Expanse series, because what do you do when you finish one 16 book series? You jump into a nine book series. It's still not done yet. Sure. Um, but I did. I wanted some sci fi and I finished that. You know, I, I said about a thousand times on here how much I liked the TV show. So I was like, let's give these books a try. And I mean, it's good. I like it. I will say that this is one of the few experiences where, so far at least, I'm like, wow, the show is 10 times better than the books. Hmm. Like, almost in every way. The characters are more fleshed out, have more going on. Uh, The action scenes are obviously, like, much more fun on screen. Uh, You know, it's hard to, when when you've got a couple seasons of TV show in your head and you're reading, the plot is more or less happening beat for beat, but... You're just projecting a lot of what you know about their characters. And it's like, oh, wait, clearly this is not the same backstory for this character hmm. they have in the show that's in the book. In fact, they just don't have a backstory in the book. They just are kind of there. So that's definitely interesting. I'm, I'm curious to see if maybe some of that stuff gets picked up later and they kind of backfilled it in the show or, or what. But it is it is good. It, it It's just different because in the show you have a ton of characters. But in the book, you only have two point of view characters the whole book, which is kind of different than... I expect to be a lot more like Game of Thrones where you have like six or seven maybe to start mm-hmm. and then you're getting all these different perspectives, but nope. So more to come on that at some point. Uh, 
I'm not even going to ask if you've been reading anything, so I assume the answer is no. Well, uh, you're not terribly far off. Um, I, I'm i close to the end of, of rereading Iron Council. Um, oh, right. I forgot you, you did that. What, how's it going? It's going fine. I mean, it, it, I'm just kind of listening to it casually. Like, I was kind of just... It was what I would listen to when I ran out of podcasts. <laughs> Um, which I, I, you know, um, but I'm liking it more on the second listen. Um, I think it's the kind of thing where, um, and I have been, uh, you know, as I'm kind of going back through some, some of Chida Meal's work, I've been kind of listening for his politics more or reading for them more, if that makes sense. Um, and I think in a lot of cases where you have, you know, fiction that has a, a, you know, political bent, sometimes you need to get through the first reading to like get the plot and the characters out of the way (laughs) like um so that you can see maybe some of the deeper you know like okay what are we getting at here because i think and maybe that's just me maybe that's just the way i i you know i kind of um process stories is first i just need to understand the plot and all of that that's happening and that's kind of taking up my bandwidth especially something like you know like iron council specifically um is written in a fairly complex way like there's like three timelines going Mm -hmm. and um you know the 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 setting the fantasy setting is very complex with all the different races and um factions and uh and his style of writing especially in the in the bass lag novels um that i really really love the way he just alludes to other locations and stuff um just in the way that characters talk and he never really explains it because you know, they're just talking about it, you know, to each other. So when they talk about some continent that me, the reader, I've never heard of, like the characters don't go out of their way to explain it to each other. And I love that. Like it adds it gives that like kind of glimpse of the larger world. But you kind of like as you're reading it the first time, you're looking at all those things as like, OK, what what are these clues to the story and where is the story going? And, you know, um, so like on the second or third read, I can pay more attention to, you know, more of the subtext. Um, so I've been listening more for the politics and I will say that, yes, Iron Council is a bit heavy handed. <laughs> Not that I disagree with the politics, but it almost seems a little too on the nose. Um, but I'm enjoying it uh, and I'm enjoying it more on the second read, I think, because maybe maybe because of the complexity of the way the story is told, um, it was maybe a little bit more confusing on the first read than on the second where, you know, I can kind of see the character growth a little bit more. And uh, so anyway, that's good. Cool. Um, but yeah, I have not been doing a ton of reading. Um, um, generally, it's it's more mental energy than I can spare. <laughs> yeah, I got you. Uh, um when it comes to watching, I watched watched a lot of things. I'm not going to go into all of them. I don't need to talk about, you know, the Tiger King and the McMillions and whatever else Shay and I have mm-hmm. binged. Um, I would recommend McMillions. It's very interesting. I love that story. I remember the first time I heard that story, I was um, I thought it was absolutely fascinating because I remembered like voraciously playing those. Oh, yeah. Yeah. McDonald's Monopoly games in the 90s. Yeah. And also feeling like. Why is it that nobody wins <laughs> or even comes close? You know, like you never heard about the winner. Yeah. Um, and I, I also remember there was one year I might have been like the first year they did it. And I distinctly remember that for some reason in our paper, uh, the, the one that was specifically delivered to 108 Burning Bush Drive, Newark, Delaware. For some reason, somebody made a mistake at the newspaper factory and we got like 30 
of the, <laughs> of the circulars. So we just had a stack of the free game. Like you, you, you got like a half dozen free game pieces with the, the game board that came in the, in the newspaper. Sure. And I was just like, oh, oh my God. Like we won, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, nope. 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 Yeah. I mean, it was, it, it's, it, I don't know if you watched the documentary, but the, it's filmed in a really like kind of funny way and it's got a, quite a cast of characters, not quite as raucous as the Tiger King cast of characters, but you know, some of these people are like, this person doesn't seem real. <laughs> um, but it, it does get a little slow in the middle, I'd say, cause it, it, it's, it is a pretty progressively like, wait, the mobs involved. Wait, yeah. what? Like things are just going quickly. But I was like the whole time Shannon, cause like my, I mean, bless my mother's heart, but we were a fast food family growing up. Oh, it was yeah. just something we did like, multiple times a week for sustenance living. It was just part of it. So we were a big, you know, like I said, big Monopoly players, the whole thing. And I was just like, how did I never, I had never heard of this before. I'm like, how did I never hear of this? Because it wasn't, it wasn't like, they didn't figure it out until fairly recently. It it went to trial in 2001. You know when in 2001? A week before (laughs) 9-11. That might explain. (laughs) So, and I was like, oh, and just completely, like, because it was like the talk of the, talk of town you know there's like this big scam big conspiracy blah blah and it was like oh by the way no one cares about you this crazy thing and, <laughs> and uh and it's, it's also kind of one of those things where it's just like it's a big deal and comes across really crazy in the story but then when you hear like the sort of like how people you know how the criminals were handled in it you're just like oh they got like six months probation and yeah, the, fine yeah. and it's like i guess it is like it's a very like white collar kind of crime but it just feels so much more like heavy or, or not heavy but like personal because you're like i played that game. you, you right. stole my chances you defrauded all of america <laughs> exactly so it was it was interesting though um definitely definitely worth the time i'd say to watch but uh the other thing so we watched two other things one shan i just finished the first season of upload have you watched this show yet no it's on amazon prime it's the new greg daniels show mm-hmm. uh i would recommend it's kind of halfway between the good place and black mirror that's what i've heard uh Maybe it apes the good place a little bit too much, but they do a really good job. I think they do a, a pretty good job of playing with the um, the premise mm-hmm. in like a funny way and a pointed way. Maybe not always like the most, you know, technologically sci-fi consistent way, but like that's not what the show's about. So yeah. uh, and Robbie Amell, uh, you know, I, I had seen him previously in uh, he was in the, the DCCW shows and some of those things. He played Firestorm. Um does a pretty good job and it's a i mean it's a follows that good of like wanders between pretty brutal humor uh raunchy humor back over to like pretty heartwarming and you know it's 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 really good i would really i would really really recommend it the hmm. production value is pretty good um it's really funny i think it's got i think it's got legs so but great the last thing i want to talk about the most is mm-hmm. i have been watching my hero academia yeah you have i have which, speaking of fun, but weirdly heavy at times. Yeah. Uh, that's something I'm still getting used to because so I'm about I'm trying to think of how far I'm in. I'm in the second season and they kind of just finished up the big tournament, the sports yep. games, whatever yep. they call them. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, they are bigger than the Olympics, apparently. Sure. Um, so for I think Greg's talked about before, but My Hero Academia is a anime that you can find on Hulu about. Uh, people was you know everyone's got basically everyone's got superpowers and the main character uh is going through superhero school yes yes it is it is 
So it combines two very like it just like two like hey like you guys like an anime like high school shows right like that's a thing all right well uh, they all superpowers and it's like superhero world all right go make it but like so the premise itself seems kind of dumb but the execution is flawless. Yeah, I wasn't like I wasn't totally on board for a bit. Mm -hmm. And then when they're doing the one training exercise and all the villains show up, mm -hmm. I was like, OK, I'm I'm getting into it. And then, I mean, I'm always a sucker for a good tournament arc. So uh, they got me there um, bringing back some Dragon Ball Z or Yu Yu Hakusho or whatever from the day. But uh, but also, yeah, like weirdly, weirdly heavy at points, just like. But not for the main character. Like, the main character's life is just like, nah, whatever. But, like, all the side characters are like, they have this, like, tragic backstory. You're yeah. like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, uh, uh, the, the other names are blurs to me. But the the kid who's half ice, half fire, mm -hmm. his son of Endeavor. And it's just like, ooh, like, his backstory is terrible. It's like, his mother was forced into this relationship to create him and then got abused. It's just, it's bonkers. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so now, um, Deku is, is, Training with All Might's uh, trainer. Yeah. Gran Torino, right? Gran Torino, yeah. Which is starting off well. I'm like, oh, Yoda character. Cool. Yep. yep. Um, they're not They're not too... Uh, no, not there's too nothing, the there's nothing very original about anything <laughs> in, in it, but it's just the way it all comes together. And there's just... So, something's just so unabashedly optimistic and bright about the show. Yeah. I will say, though, I and I know this is just like an anime thing, but I just... I hate the structure of the episodes. I just it's just like both like mechanically and in, in modern day viewing, because like it's not Saturday morning cartoons where I just had to watch it. It's like, OK, well, the first minute is an explanation of the world. And then the next two minutes is the intro and then, you know, the intro sequence song. And then the next minute is kind of a recap from last time. Mm -hmm. And then there's about 12 minutes of content. And then it's about a three minute exit song. <laughs> And then I'm on to the next episode. A sad exit song. Yeah, that's it's always, song. It's always the sad song at the end. Well, this one's like the girly one. I don't know why it's oh, like yeah. it focuses on on the ladies. Um, which I really like the um, oh, what's her name? The one who makes the float. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, but. it's tough because they all like. Uh, it, 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 even in a superhero show, like they don't. A lot of them don't have easily memorable superhero names. They just have names, right? And and they also refer to them like their first name, their last name, or their superhero name. So I'm just like, which one's which again? Yes. Oh yeah. And 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 you know, this is you know very uh uh you know like ethnocentric of me, but it's as someone who is not raised around a lot of Japanese names. It becomes to remember. It becomes difficult to remember and differentiate a lot of these Japanese names, which Correct. these characters have. So I try, but it's it can be it can be difficult to get them all in the head. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. I will say though, I hate Bakugo, which is the explosion guy rival. Oh yeah, but he's uh, yes, he is annoying as hell, but he is also just such a perfect encapsulation of that character trope. That's true. That's true. He's like Vegeta times a thousand. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's like, okay, cool. Uh, but, I, but I love All Might. He's by far my favorite character yes. and just the man. So uh, I'm going to stick with it. I'm enjoying it. I don't really know how much there is. I haven't really looked around. I'm just kind of like I just put it on oh, when I'm on the it's, treadmill. It's, it's It goes on forever. Cool. Cool. As any like good anime should, right? Yeah. Uh, especially not weird ones about sex. She won't bring mm. up ever again. Um, <laughs> mm. 
Mm-mm. But yeah, so uh, I'm enjoying that. Thank you for the recommendation. Yeah, I'm glad you and, like it. Yeah. I need to catch back up with it. You've been watching anything good? Um, you know, it's been what we've been watching around the house has mainly been well. Um, okay, so I've been watching two things, the two two broad categories of things. One is leftist YouTube, which I'll leave that aside. I've been watching a lot of leftist YouTube. Um, but in terms of actual like television, um, I watched all of Frasier. That was in the early days of lockdown. That was my like thing to have on in the background while I worked. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really kind of perfect f- for that moment because there is such a gentle energy to Frasier and none of the none of the problems on Frasier are ever all that serious. Although actually the first season was fairly um, they actually grappled with some some heavier topics. Um, but it's always it's always the stakes are always like, um, you know, uh, the wrong people are coming to Niles's dinner party. <laughs> They bought a restaurant and they're having a bad opening night. So, like, it's a very low, like, it's not bringing any more stress or conflict into my life. Um, and so it was it was very good for that um, for that moment. Um, I also have a lot of, like, nostalgia for Frasier because we watched a lot as I was, you know, when I was, you know, like a preteen. Um, so, you know, warm nostalgia for that stuff. But um um, but also, uh, Frasier, I think that the, I think Frasier is due for a reconsideration in popular culture for a number of reasons. But one of them is that, like, most of the plots actually hinge around, like, empathy and understanding other people's emotions. Um, usually that is what, like, that the, the central conflict is, re- revolves around either, either you know, one of the main characters is just they're not taking another character's like um, feelings into account or they're not taking them seriously. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's actually kind of surprising that that's like that's, you know, that that's what this show is. And like the underlying message of Frasier more often than not is empathy and understanding, uh, which I thought I'm like, that's actually like kind of ahead of its time, you know, Um yeah. So I watched a lot of Frasier. Um, we've also just gotten through a rewatch of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Mm, in anticipation uh, of the interactive. So we did. We actually watched that last night and it was pretty oh. good. Okay. Um, yeah. We kind of fell off of it. Like I really liked it at first and then I, I felt like it started to get a little like not really doing it for me anymore. Comedy wise towards the end. But yeah, I'm curious I, to give it a finish and see what this interactive thing's like. Well, yeah. So I think we missed like the I think we might have missed some episodes at the tail end of the last season on Netflix because this the, the interactive thing picked up in some places where I was like, oh, uh, I definitely think we missed some stuff. Um, but uh, the early I mean, it does. I think that the show gets a little lost in the later seasons. Um, cause I think the premise gets stretched a little thin. Yeah. I think she's a, her character gets stretched a little thin because it only, that trope only, right. her, her bit only is funny for so long. I right. Think. Like at this point she's been out in the real world for, for three or four years now. Right? right. So it's, we can't do the fish out of water thing as much anymore. Right. Um, um, and they also, I feel like they tried to, they tried to, um, 
They tried to broaden the cast by giving some more attention to some other secondary characters who probably should have just stayed secondary characters. Yeah. Um, but 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 we're enjoying that for the same reason of like, again, like it's very low stakes. It's got a very bright, like pleasant energy. Um, uh, so we watched a lot of Kimmy Schmidt. But yeah, TV wise, that's been pretty much where I'm at. Um, caught up on some movies, watched The Color Out of Space. Oh, how was that? Fine. Okay. <laughs> um, it was fine. I think it had a lot going for it, but I also think that it didn't. It didn't have as cohesive enough of a vision to really care, carry it through. Like I don't. I feel like like a movie like Mandy is so singular in its idea that its bonkerness just it all works. This feels like it's like half of that, mm. but. A vaguely psychedelic H.P. Lovecraft movie with a soundtrack by Colin Stetson and starring Nicolas Cage. You're already you got some strong tailwinds there. So it's I, I would recommend it to folks who like an ooky spook or just a weird movie. It's not great, but it, it's it's certainly a, a, a decent little way to spend two hours. OK, that's cool. Um, I mean, I think that one of the problems with any of these, like adapting a Lovecraft thing into a movie is that, uh, I mean, I feel like we've talked about it before. I, I don't know how well Lovecraft translates to the screen because, mm-hmm. you know, it kind of needs to be, you know, in your imagination. Um, and also it's a lot of, like they're short stories. You know, it's 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 almost like I mean, it's not that his stories are jokes, but it's there's a there's almost a setup and punchline structure to an H.P. Lovecraft short story. <laughs> Yeah, they almost work better in like a Twilight Zone maybe kind of thing where they're yes. like, you know, 10, 15 minute little just like, what the fuck is going on? Ah, you don't know. See ya. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it, it's kind of tough to get to get a full, you know, 90 minutes to two hours out of it. But this one did it did admirable. I mean, I would say as far as like genuine Lovecraft adaptations go, this is probably one of the best. That's good to know. That's one of my favorite short stories. So uh, I forgot two things Greg, I wanted to bring up that uh-huh. I watched. One was Dave familiar with this oh yeah you mentioned you were interested in this yeah so shay and i were big little dicky fans rappers particularly shay um comedy satire rapper uh, but he's always said I, I i like rapping it's my passion but i really want to use it as a springboard to get into tv and he has a show on fxx called dave you've probably seen it You're scrolling through hulu uh looks like him coming out of his underpants where his penis would be mm-hmm. uh, yes. uh i really liked it actually Um, not every episode is great, but a couple are quite good. And for a comedy, the, you know, for first season to come across pretty well is our always a little bit of a big hurdle, I think. And, uh, he, it really captures his, his brand of humor. That's like sometimes super pointed satire, sometimes really like nihilistic heaviness and other times just like just absurd dick jokes. Hmm. And he tends to walk a pretty good line of like bouncing between those things enough to keep you on your toes. And I think the show does a pretty good job of that. Uh, and it end, the ending is pretty, pretty heavy, actually. So I, I would I would recommend it. It's not really long. I think it's like eight or ten episodes or something. Uh, it's pretty funny. And the other thing I did watch uh, that was not did not have a, a nice, gentle, soft, positive energy like the shows you described, Greg. It was the second season of Altered Carbon. Mm-hmm. This time starring Anthony Mackie and the woman I don't know who played uh, who was in Luke Cage. Um, hmm. I'm blanking on her name. I'll remember it in a second. But uh, it was fine. I really liked the first season of Alter Carbon. I think this lacked a little bit of the the story wasn't quite as engrossing 
engaging. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there were some really good moments, really good action scenes. Uh, it's got a good feel to the world that I really like. And I think Anthony Mackie is a pretty good actor. I enjoyed his portrayal. Uh, but I don't really know. I feel like we didn't really like the point was kind of a little muddled somewhere mm-hmm. in there where the, I think the first season is very pointed in, in what it's saying. But uh, another series that I was reading some of the summaries of the books and it's like, well, this is just on a completely different level. Just like took the idea and a couple plot beats and just like went a completely different direction, which is kind of interesting. So, but yeah, I, I, if, if you like the first season, I'd recommend it. But obviously, if if you were like just mad on it in the first season, then probably don't don't keep going with it. But I do want to watch that. I wanted you watch this. Did you watch the Chris Hemsworth movie on Netflix yet? No, but I hear it's decent. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of. In, I have It's been a long time since I watched this like a fuck yeah action movie, and kind of been craving one. And this seems to be that. So I yeah I I I've I've heard that's good. Um, I will say um, another one I forgot um, that I have to. I have to mention um, the new season of What We Do in the Shadows. Oh, yeah. Um, has been good. But the most recent episode, um, uh, it may be a perfect episode of television. <laughs> um, it it may be. Um, it is a magic trick that it is. I mean, now, maybe I'm biased because it is essentially a Matt Berry focused episode. It's focused on his character, Laszlo. And I mean, Matt Berry is possibly one of my favorite performers, but um, it's fantastic. Um, the, it, it involves his character, Laszlo, basically has to skip town and like take on a double life in uh, another life in a town in Pennsylvania. Um <laughs> just so good um but he like I, I mean every joke that you could make during this they do but it also goes in this really phenomenal direction that like you you don't you you, you don't know where it, you you have no idea where it's going every step of the way and then um he's being pursued by another vampire played by mark hamill who <laughs> does a great job um but there's these scenes where Mark Hamill confronts him in his new life and they're doing this like they're playing this game with each other of like, you know, you see it in the movies where, um, you know, the, the pursuer confronts the person in disguise and pretends to maybe not know them, you know, mm-hmm. and it's it's always played for tension and like, you know, they're both keeping up the charade for everyone else in the restaurant. But, you know, that they really know who each other are. Um this episode does such an, an amazing job of playing with that trope because you just keep going back and forth of like, wait, d- does he really does? He might not know. He's just being a vampire. And this is just the way he always talks. Like he's always saying things of the menacing. Oh, I, I just fantastic. What we do in the shadows is very, very good. And you can watch, watch it on Hulu and it's very, very good. And this new season has been excellent so far. Would you say it's good for anybody or just good for people who like nerd shit? Oh, I think it's good for anybody. I mean, the the it's it's based on the movie, the Taika Waititi movie of the of the same name, which is basically a mockumentary about vampire roommates, right? Just doing vampire stuff in the modern world. Um, and this is it's three new characters, one of whom is Matt Berry, who's you know uh, one of mankind's greatest achievements, just as a person. Um, and, uh, I mean, I think that a lot of the, a lot of the humor is like, is the way it plays with, 
you know, vampire tropes and horror tropes. Um, but I would say that most of those gags are not like, you know, fanboy enough that you're not going to you're not going to get a chuckle out of them. You know, it's like if you've seen v- vampire stuff, you, you, you you're going to get it, you know. Gotcha. It's more just, you know, and, and one of their roommates is an energy vampire and he's just that's fantastic. Uh, yeah, well, it, it's good. And and this latest episode, I, I feel like is just genius. Uh, I'm definitely going to watch that then. We're going to need another show. So um, did you have anything else that you've wanted to talk about or shall we jump into our topic for tonight? I, I, I have been playing a lot of video games. Oh, video games, huh? I don't know why anyone would do that right now. It's not like it's the perfect time to play video games. Well, yeah, so I played I've I've. I've I did two playthroughs on Borderlands Three. Jesus. Um, now I, I I've always I've I've liked Borderlands One and Two. Um, and I took a chance on Three because it was on sale, and I was like, I feel like a mindless loot shooter is kind of the perfect thing right now. Like it's just um, and it, it's it's I mean I got through two playthroughs. Now part of that is because um, the way that they built in the DLC is that you can start a new game with a character who's leveled up to a level that's able to play the DLC. So you can skip like the first couple hours of the game, which is great because that's always the worst part of like starting a new character is like, well, great. Now I have to go through all the stuff where like now here's the mission where they teach you how to jump. Great. You know, (laughs) Um, and like the way that it makes sense on the first playthrough where like they introduce you to like your powers and your grenades and your shields like they walk you through those so that you can learn each mechanic theoretically but like once you've done it I don't need to do it again so um I did two playthroughs on that I actually the game's really good um and the the most recent DLC is really good especially for like a first person loot shooter um it is Lovecraft themed so uh, it does that does give it some extra points for me and it has a really funny joke where you have one of the quest givers is like the like the proprietor of the spooky lodge that's kind of your central hub um and it's just a really good slow burn joke of he's not at all sinister in the game but he just always talks like the creepy bellhop at a haunted hotel <laughs> and it's just every sentence comes out with like Yes, we've been expecting you, you know, but like everything's that tone. And then you like you slowly realize like, oh, that's just the way everybody talks in this stupid haunted planet, (laughs) Um, you know, and um, uh, it's just a really good joke. But like it's it's a it's a first person shooter DLC and it's Borderlands, which is all about like shoot monsters to get new guns to shoot more monsters to get new guns to shoot more monsters to get new guns um but like it's got like narrative themes about like love and partnership and sacrifice weird and it like weaves those themes throughout the uh so you've got it's these two characters that have been side characters elsewhere in the game the the central premise is they're going to get married and they have a destination wedding on this Lovecraft planet, basically. Um, and then one of them gets possessed. But the villains are this like um, so you've got so you've got the love story of 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 those two characters. Right. Um, and, you know, you know, it's it's the it's the one guy trying to rescue his his husband to be from this demonic possession. And then you've got um, the villains and it's this couple of like 
you know, there are these like possessed warlock types, you know, um, but, you know, their like their whole backstory as you learn it is also this tragic love story. And, you know, all of their like elder god machinations are kind of rooted in their like relationship and love for each other. And then you also have like your sidekick on the quest is a character from she was a playable character in one of the earlier games, um, Gage, and she's got her like um, robot sidekick that she, you know, like and you learn about their it's not a romantic relationship, but like you then see this kind of like platonic love between them. And all of these three stories are intertwining in a fucking loot shooter. And with also like some of the best level design I've seen in the series, like they they did a good job. Um, the rest of it has a lot of other problems that Borderlands games have of because you, you know, like you select which like character class and that character has a personality. But because they don't want to like get too complicated with the writing, like all of the major character moments happen to NPCs. So you're just kind of like watching other people's story as they send you on missions, which is a Borderlands problem. Um, so it's got that going for it. But um but it's good at the whole run around and shoot bad guys thing. And the DLC is really, really, really good. Um, cool. I've never played those. I have a lot of friends who are big fans, but um, yeah, I, get, I mean, I get a little bored on the loot, loot shooter kind of thing. Although I'm going to give destiny to I try, I think ooh, but I, um, I would avoid destiny. <laughs> I have been. And then I have a friend or two who kind of picked it up and it's free. So it's like, well, yeah. I'll hop in and give it a try. I mean, better than the other alternative right now, which is, you know, all the all my friends are splintering off in different groups because picking up quarantine games. Yeah. And one of those is a uh, Final Fantasy 14, which is the MMO version of Final Fantasy. Mm-hmm. And it is just like MMO. Like, yeah. All right. First mission, go kill six squirrels. And like, I like those kind of games weirdly and sadly. But I don't know. We'll see what lasts. Like I said, things are all free or have free trials or whatever. So it's like, eh, slow, you know, give it a try or whatever. But so I'll tell you what I like about Borderlands versus Destiny, because they do have a lot in common, like at the base mechanical level. Um, Borderlands is much more like there's no upgrade paths like with Destiny, it's it's got all of these like economies and sub economies of like you've got to farm this many materials in order to feed this low level gun to this high level gun or the other way around. Like so that you can, you know, make your low level gun more in, in line with the level of the rest of your gear and you can break this thing down into these uh, materials. And it's all very complex and designed to keep you grinding out public events and raids. Borderlands is like the guns drop from bad guys. And 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 uh, and if you if you want another gun, you go shoot more bad guys and the guns are essentially randomized, too. Um, So to me, it feels a little less exploitative because it's just like just go shoot things and you'll get guns like there's there are like weird daily quests and events and stuff, but it's not as um, uh, live service oriented kind of thing. Yes. Yes, it, it Destiny feels like a game that should be overflowing with microtransactions. They just haven't turned them all on yet. <laughs> um, whereas Borderlands, it's more just like, here it is. Here's the loop. Go nuts. Gotcha. Um, 
And there's one other game that I'll mention that I feel like I'm almost at the end of. Um, I got it because it was on sale for Star Wars Day, Ooh. which is a thing that I hate. But it's uh, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Oh. Um, so it's uh, it's decent. It does that thing where it just basically hodgepodges mechanics from uh, other successful games and puts them together in a pretty successful way. <laughs> like, it's got... It's got a respawn system similar to Dark Souls where, you know, you're going from checkpoint to checkpoint. And when you get to a checkpoint, you can restore all of your, you know, uh, health and such um, at the expense of respawning all the enemies. Um, And if you die, you have to backtrack to get your XP back, Um, although it's pretty light on those elements. But it's also got a lot of like climbing and like you're solving a puzzle in a big tomb, like an Uncharted Um, and... There's a lot of other things that don't really work. Like, it's got all this exploration, but the only stuff you ever find in exploration is, like, customization things. Like, ooh, a new color for my poncho. (laughs) So there's not really an incentive to explore because it's not like you're going to go find a new weapon, you know? Yeah. You basically have a lightsaber and you have a couple force powers. And it's all very, like, feels pretty good. Like, it feels like you feel like a Jedi fighting stormtroopers, which is good. Um, And... uh, one of the best things about it is the music. Like they do a really good job of, um, you know, having like atmospheric kind of procedurally generated music that sounds Star Warsy. Like the little kind of like, you know, little like little flute trills of when something mysterious happens. Mm. It, it it's a tough thing to get right, but it just the music cues feel very Star Warsy without like just constantly quoting the you know the themes that you know. Oh, that's good. Yeah. A lot um, of games overuse those quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, the story's weird. I don't know. I'm chasing a holocron because reasons. And it's one more thing that's wedged in between episodes three and four. And I just can't with that timeline anymore. <laughs> um, because it, it, it's gotten so bloated where I'm like, OK, now we've got purge troopers and inquisitors and... There are a lot of Jedi that I seem to be running into right now, and I thought they were all dead. Um, Yeah, that was one thing that I felt that the old EU kind of messed up by just having so many other surviving Jedi. And then I was like, okay, maybe they'll kind of correct that in the new EU. It's like, nope, let's just double down on that again. It's the sort of thing where like, I don't necessarily mind it. If it's something like this Jedi fled to some really far off planet where we've never seen stuff happen before. Right. Yeah. Like, fine. But I'm on Kashyyyk, <laughs> like I fighting stormtroopers, you know, um, and it, so it kind of it's like and I know it's tough with Star Wars because it's like, well, I know that at some point this character, Cal Kestis, like he doesn't show up in episodes four through nine. So I'm guessing things don't work out great for him, <laughs> you know, um, and the same thing with all the characters, really. So it's kind of like, oh, what do I why do I even care about this? And like, I know we don't defeat the Empire. I know it. Right. It's <laughs> hard to build the stakes. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm curious to see like broader point here. But, you know, I know that Rebel show is very popular, which also takes place in this time that has not one, but two or I guess even three Jedi in it. One of which I think actually dies, but still, I, I just like, where are these other characters? And now with the announcements around the Mandalorian casting, which has basically is just, I guess, now a sequel to the Clone Wars slash Rebels. It's kind of like, well, 
I guess Ashoka is still around because she's got cast. Rosario Dawson's playing her. So she was there for episodes four through nine, but just not present. Seems weird. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure they have some great excuse. But yeah, it, it's hard because like Star Wars, like it was just like um, I think probably handled it a little bit more, a little better. But playing as Kyle Katarn in the Dark Forces and then Jedi Knight slash Academy games uh, back in the day. Did you ever play any of those? The first two, yeah. uh, Dark Forces, and then I guess Jedi Knight was the second one. It was Dark Forces, Dark Forces two, and then Jedi Knight and okay. Jedi Academy, yeah. I think. And that was that kind of made a little more sense because like he didn't start as a Jedi. Like only what towards the end of Dark Forces two, it's like, oh yeah, you you got the Force, dude. And it's like the timeline lined up with like sort of towards the end of the movies yeah. anyway. So it's like okay, well, um, but I just feel like having it's not so much for me that it like diminishes Luke. People say like, well, he's supposed to be like the only Jedi left and you know, it's his journey. I'm like, yeah, but like there could be other people out there. It's a big galaxy. Like just because right. they didn't like they weren't the hero doesn't mean like that only the hero can be a Jedi. The problem is that you're playing a Star Wars game like you probably want to play as a Jedi. So I don't know why they make don't make more games where there could be more Jedi without having to shoehorn or fit in like like you said and have no stakes. But yeah. And and then I'm reading news that, like they're just recently kind of hinting like, oh, this first game in a franchise. I'm like, well, motherfuckers, how? Well, it's just like the Force Unleashed. It was like, well, what happens with this guy? It's like, guess what? He probably doesn't make it. <laughs> well, at least in the Force, like I actually liked the Force Unleashed as I remember it. I haven't touched it since. And I don't know. If, I don't think I played the sequel, but like at least where they fit that in, like they did, I think, do a pretty good job with that of you know, fitting it in here of and fitting it in around the existing canon. And you knew, like, I know this guy doesn't survive, but at least in the first Force Unleashed game, they made it so that, like, oh, his sacrifice actually ended up being an inspiration for the rebellion. So, all right, okay, cool. But you get one of those. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah. Um, But then they erased that from from history, which I, um, I mean, he was kind of an edge lord, but it was still pretty good. Yeah. Um, and the second game, third game were pretty bad. So there were three. I think there were three. Oh no. Uh, I feel like the third, third one was like one of those games. that was like d- meant to be DLC and just turn into a full game, oh. but wasn't actually a full game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I don't, I, I mean, I think I, I, I really feel like star Wars is beyond salvaging at this point. <laughs> um, because I think that like they have completely they've painted themselves into such corners uh, with um, obviously everything that happens between three and four. Like there is no room left. Um, I mean, I think that they're actually like, if anything, between six and seven is where you could have some cool stories. And totally. I feel like that's where Mandalorian sits. Right. Yep. Correct. Um, but the problem is that we've already had hemmed in at this point that like, well, nope, there weren't any new Jedis during this. So if you want to do any Jedi stuff, you can't. Um, uh, so, yeah, I feel like that was one of the biggest mistakes of the new new trilogy was that it just took 30 years of potential stories and was like, well, we're going to narrow that to a very yeah. finite stuff because like Nothing all the really books that happened. come out, I'm just like. All right. Well, all these are just like little dumb side things, right? Like you couldn't really have an expansive universe in there. And like, I guess they can do that after now, but it feels like you've skipped out on some really, really juicy material. I mean, who knows? Like I said, that it seems like they're really starting to double down on incorporating the other shows and, you know, Clone Wars ending now ended has ended now. And people seem to really like that. And then picking up a bunch of those characters 
to bring into live action and Mandalorian. It's like, okay, that's cool, I guess. But yeah. what is I, it? What is it? What does it mean in the long run? Like, uh, I just think that it's like looking back on the setup of going into Force Awakens and Last Jedi, where it's just like when you think about these main characters, it's kind of like it's been 30 years and all of them did about one thing, right? Yeah. And those things basically were and then everything else was basically on pause. So Luke tried to start the Academy. It seemed like it lasted a week. (laughs) (laughs) And then he was like, now I'm just going to sit. I'm just going to sit in a room for 30 years or, you know, 10 years or whatever. Um, Yeah, he basically sat in a room in a white room eating saltine crackers between the end of Return of the Jedi and, um, you know, when Ben Solo uh, became a school shooter. And then he went back to his white room until Ray showed up. And then it was like, it seems like Han and Leia, same thing. They sat in a white room until their kid turned into a school shooter, got a divorce, and then went and sat in white rooms until Ray showed up. You know, and it's like, man, if we'd set things up in a way where, like, Luke was actually, like, had a whole bunch more adventures in the meantime, like, we could fill that in. Or if there were 30 new Jedi that came, you know, came out of the Academy between that then and now, and, you know? Yeah, I think that's one thing that... I think it's one thing that they they messed up again by like going another like messianic chosen one. Yeah. You're the only one like you could have done a different way where still make the characters you care about special and important. But the only way to do that is not to be like they're the Jedi in the story. Yeah. But also, I think that that and I know we're going down a Star Wars rabbit hole here, but um, we never do that. Yeah, I was going to say it's kind of our job. Um, It's weird. Like there's so much. Because one of the things I did when, when you know, when we um, started the lockdown was I actually went back and rewatched the first uh, eight Star Wars movies um, in the machete order. Just, you know, I was like, I got to do something. Um, and so so they're all pretty fresh in my mind. But, you know, the whole like chosen one stuff like that is not in the original trilogy. No. Like there is really no sense of like. Luke has a destiny to bring balance to the force, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like it's his destiny to like, you know, to like become a Jedi like his father. But it's much more personal, you know, and then his 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 mission, you know, Empire and forward is like I like I want to save my dad. Yeah, I want to defeat the Empire, but I also have, you know, but I also have the personal stakes of wanting to like, um, you know, redeem vader to bring him back to the light side like that's his his quest but it's there's no like luke is the chosen one and there's also not a lot of like it wasn't established in the original trilogy that like all of the jedi got rounded up and murdered it just seemed like they were very very rare and there weren't a lot of them right yeah certain certainly weren't any young ones running around you know right i mean it was kind of hinted at that like yeah there weren't many left but it wasn't like there are none like there was room to be like, oh, yeah, there might be three or four over on that planet over there. If you go find them. Um, yeah, I think that and that's to our point right? like you didn't. It's only been sort of the and not even like it's like, sure, like you see in, in episode three, you see a lot of them die. But like nowhere does it say that that was a 100 percent effective killing blow. Right. Like, right. Uh, it, yeah. It's almost just like this thing that like has crept into Star Wars but it was also, Apocrypha, I think, a, a strategic error on Lucas's part of like, oh, no, there was a moment when like the emperor like wiped them all out in an afternoon. Yeah. 
as opposed to just like, well, you could imagine that like the order could be dying out because maybe at some point, bet- you know, before episode four, you know, they just stopped training new ones. Or, you know, a lot of them died in the war and the emperor made it illegal and, you know, like. Yeah, or, but, or like a combination of all that, right? Like, yeah, there was an initial strike, if you want to keep the dramatic moment of Order 66 there. But you could also say, like, especially if you're going to go the route that, like, there is some sort of biological component to the Force. Like, if the, you know, the Old Republic Jedi said we're not going to have relationships, then you could say that, well, OK, so if, if the Force could be a potentially hereditary thing, then. Yeah, it's just been and that's heavily out. implied in the most recent trilogy, right? The two main force characters are come from a hereditary line of force users. Like then you're only rely on finding the random genetic quirks, right? As opposed to like not manufacturing them, but like you're, you're taking a big portion of your genetic pool that has that trait and saying, okay, no one can have any kids. And it's like, okay, well that's, you can put all that together and now it's illegal to be a Jedi and those three things. And then you have, yeah, a situation where like, yeah, there's probably a couple running around trying to like lay low, like Obi-Wan was, but, uh, but to make it this like all, all or nothing black or white thing. Right. And also to set it up where in the, you know, that for whatever reason, Lucas wanted to have a, a, a version of the star Wars universe where, you know, there were Jedi everywhere and there was a council and, you know, they were a big part as opposed to like, more the way it's set up in the original trilogy of like, it's an ancient religion, right? Like that they, you know, the, the Imperials are laughing at Vader because he's still following it. You know, it would, you know, it's like if there were guys running around today, like, yeah, there are some weirdos who still kind of worship the Norse gods, right? (laughs) So like, you could imagine like, it would be much simpler. Like, yeah, there just were never all that many of these guys running around because they were just an old order of weirdos. You know, yeah. Instead of this like, oh, no, well, we have to in order to have, you know, a world where there's a bunch of Jedi, we need to have a sudden switch to a world where there are no Jedi, which create all of these problems down the road. Yeah. You know, I feel like, you know, like you said, for the setup for the new trilogy, it's like it was never explicit that there weren't other Jedi around. But being that the resistance was like all of 50 people. You would have thought if there was any, they were probably yeah. showing up, right? Like, right. And and I think that in order to have for whatever reason where they needed to be like, look, we know that at the end of Empire, Luke basically says, like, I'm going to, you know, like I'm going to bring the Jedi back, you know. Um, so we know that that's his plan. But when they were sketching out what they want the world to look like in Episode seven and they for whatever reason, um, because J.J. Abrams is assessed with quote unquote mysteries, although it's not mysteries that he likes. It's just reveals. Um, He didn't want to have like Luke has to be hidden for all of the first movie. Right. So that means Luke can't have been successful at restarting the Jedi Academy. Um, And we don't want to have a bunch of Jedi running around for whatever reasons. So we have to back ourselves into this thing of like where he kind of did it, but he sucked. Um, But Uh, there, there, there were better ways to set this up, but we had to we were committed to the idea of like, oh, no, I want to have a big Luke Skywalker reveal because I'm J.J. Abrams and I've got to have reveals. So now I need to work backwards to, well, why can't I have Luke in the first movie or, you know, anything that, you know, anything that he did like be be too obvious. Right. Because we have to save all that for the big reveal. We can't just have it like, oh, yeah, well, you know, oh, yeah, there's like five Jedi in the movie now and they were all trained by Luke Skywalker. Cool. 
can't do that. That reveals right. too much. Yeah, and also it also makes that you can't emulate Ray's path on Luke's path because if there's four other Jedi hanging around going like, hey, what's up? Like, right. she can't have the mystery of like, oh, I'm figuring out the Force now for the first time. And guess what? The key to this puzzle was don't do the same fucking thing. <laughs> yeah, like what if... What if what if Ray was the non-magical one and but there was but but there was somebody else on the team who like was a genuine Jedi already like they just start the movie as a young Jedi and right. and Ray's just a just a person. Right. Nope. Can't do that. No. God forbid. No. no. God forbid we try something. No. Don't try. Can we just take the script for episode four and just do a find replace? <laughs> More or less. More or less. All right. All right. We'll get back to Star Wars at some point. But speaking of the number four. Ooh, good transition. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, so a topic we have, a little mini topic tonight, nothing too deep, I don't think, but I got about halfway, then I ran out of steam. So Me we're gonna too. we're we're gonna go. <laughs> hopefully we hopefully we had two uh halves that fit together, not the same two halves. But I think but I think that's emblematic of every other person who has tried this partic- to solve this particular puzzle. It could be. Uh, the difference so, is we didn't film it. <laughs> right. Uh, right. So there's been some rumors, you know, obviously the state of movies and particularly big movies is just one big pause. Uh, so who knows when and where and how. But there's been a lot of rumors about how is Marvel slash Disney going to tackle the Fantastic Four. And the two big rumors that have been and I'm not even going to say if they're right or wrong. It doesn't even matter because. You know, it, it just got us thinking and we were talking a little bit about it. we decided that there was enough here to, to talk a little bit further on, on the show about. So one rumor has been that there's been a sort of a uh, Twitter, you know, social media campaign and some discussion for a while now. Like, oh, John Krasinski should play Reed Richards in Fantastic Four whenever it happens, which um, is 100 percent wrong. <laughs> I don't mean incorrect. Because who knows what they're doing, but he should not play Reed Richards. Right. I mean, I know that, I mean, part of the tr- the context there is John Krasinski's been trying to break into the space for a while. Uh, he auditioned for Captain America and was pretty close to getting it, um, which is, once again, a weird choice. Um, you know, he, he's doing the whole uh, Tom Clancy thing, right? Mm-hmm. The Amazon show. He's trying to become, break into the A-list action hero guy space. The other, but, you know, and the... He has been talking, it has been released that he has been talking with Marvel about what we don't know. But one could suspect that if this has been going on for a while and they're talking to him, maybe it's the same thing. Other big rumor is that Marvel and Joss Whedon have been talking a lot again about what, once again, no one knows. But a lot of people are saying like, oh, maybe they're looking to tap him to do a Fantastic Four as that would kind of be in his wheelhouse of ensemble, ensemble, revitalizing a, you know, a, a harder than usual franchise to get off the ground. You know, I think he, he has a tendency to be able to, I think he's good. I mean, he showed in Avengers, I think that he can take something that's a little goofy and, and elevate it a little bit. Uh, so I think that's probably what they're, what they're thinking. Um, but once again, that could just be rumors. He could just be doing some script doctoring or something again, like he has, but I'm guessing that after justice league, his relationship with DC probably fell apart and he's, Probably looking for something to do, even though he said he wouldn't work with Marvel again after Age of Ultron. The mouse dollars talk big, big money. So, yeah. Um, but regardless of those two things, I we were talking about, like, how how will we do Fantastic Four? Like, how will we get this up and running in the current state of the MCU with everything we know and 
what we've got, what the current context is. So we're going to pitch our ideas for the Fantastic Four. Um, I kind of started with some just kind of general, not ideas, but like maybe kind of rules and, you know, constraints. And let me know if you were thinking the same thing. But the first thing that uh, I feel like in order for it to fit into the current kind of Marvel scheme, uh, we can't get too far out with the like who the Fantastic Four are. Right. Like it's still Reed Richards, Sue Storm, Ben Grimm, Johnny Storm. Right. And mm-hmm. and, you know, he stretches. She's invisible. He's a rock man. And, and the other one's on fire. Right. Yeah. Um. And we also have to find a way within the general concept to make this fit in with everything we know, everything that's been established storyline wise with the Marvel Universe. So that kind of limits you to either they have to have an origin story that takes place post Endgame or you need an explanation for what the hell they were doing while the universe was being destroyed. Yeah. And I had a couple of points just before we pitched that just, um, you know, like what is like answering this question, like what's the point of Fantastic Four in the modern day? Like, wait, what what do they bring besides the name of, you know, this iconic group? Like, what is it that they want to bring? And that was what I was trying to think about. Like, what are we going to bring into this thing? So for me, that was like, you know, they are classic and iconic. They're the beginning of Marvel in many ways. So I think it's an important, you know, thing to have here, a pertinent group. Um but uh, there's some there's some strengths and weaknesses of them, right? One is that they're like their strength is that they've got they've got fun on screen powers, got a lot of like you know uniqueness there, and maybe not uniqueness, but things that work well on the screen. And I think now with modern visual effects, probably work even better than they would have would have in the past. Uh, that Michael Chiklis uh, thing suit was yikes. Uh, but yeah, so and they've got a good villain list or slash villain slash other characters that have come in via them right you know obviously dr doom but galactus silver surfer namor like all these people that all the scrolls that they deal with like all these things i think are are a a boon for them some weaknesses for them though they're a bit hokey Mm -hmm. a little cliche um you know some of that can be a a pro like there could be a a bit of old schoolness to them that could be refreshing right but i also think they're there's just the mechanics i think they're just tough to position in the current mcu to your point. Yes. Um, so whose half-baked idea should go first? Mine is relatively straightforward. So why don't we start with mine and then we'll go to yours, which okay. I think is probably a little more off the wall. If I had to take a guess. <sighs> yeah. Of course <laughs> it is. Because of course it is. So I really wanted to think about what does Fantastic Four mean to me in my experience with them? There's lots of I'm not like a I'm not like an expert. They're definitely not one of the groups I read the most of, but I have consumed some. Um, for me, the biggest thing about Fantastic Four is family, because most of their conflict is about family, mm-hmm. both internally. You know, they've got this family of that. They've got a married couple a brother slash brother-in-law and then sort of a chosen family in that Ben Grimm is they're they're effectively a family and they eventually get the kids but the kids don't exist in my pitch at this point um but then you also have the relationship with um Dr. Doom is like also one of very close connections to the family and as as friends chosen family kind of idea so I want to really wanted to focus on that uh make sure that comes through because 
and, and the, how that still working out. But that to me is what the Fantastic Four can bring to the MCU while making sure we're not treading on some of the things that Black Widow kind of was getting at towards the end because she kind of brings up that this is my family thing a little bit. But I don't think she leans in it, into it enough uh, that it would seem like you're just doubling down. And this is a this is a reoccurring problem here of like we're trying to thread a needle with this group of four people that isn't going to just replace someone from the MCU or a group of people from the MCU, but also not retread or just be like this person, but they stretch. Hmm. Right. Right. So, Tony, t- Tony Stark, but, but, but now he's blue. Right. So, uh, I'm hoping that between some of my half-baked idea and some of your half-baked idea, we can come up with something good. So in my basic setup is Reed Richards is a famous scientist who's been studying superheroes and their powers from a distance. He's not, a charismatic guy and out in the open, he's not a billionaire, you know, cap super capitalist. So we don't really know who he is. He's just been doing his science thing. Um, and he has a t- his team, which is the team, you know, the four characters testing out technology based on readings. He's picked up while studying things from superhero events, AKA vision, Wanda's powers, the attack on New York, Ultron stuff, like all these things. Uh, he's trying to use that, you know, cosmic energy, whatever you want to call it, the power, you know, the power from the stones, more or less, to try and advance technology. And his current goal is to try and make some sort of form of teleportation in the attempt to eliminate fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. Now, we have to be careful there because there's a little bit of like the clean energy thing that Tony Stark promised with the arc reactors, but never really seemed to actually double down on or embrace in any real way in the canon of like the show because people still drive cars and stuff. So uh, we're just going to hopefully not tread too close to that. But so anyway, he's working on the experiment to try and do this. They test it out. Instead of going to space, they get zapped to outer space via this teleportation and they end up on a, de- on a deserted but habitable planet with some connection to s- you know, some MacGuffin that connects them to the cosmic energy tied to the stones. Maybe it's where, uh, what are the big things called? The Celestials? Celestial. It's like maybe Celestial died there or something like that. Um, something that kind of pulled them there. Now, the trick here is this is poor timing because not long after they get there, the snap occurs and Sue and Johnny are, are dusted. So it's just Reed and Ben on the planet surviving for five years until the second snap happens causing, once again, some sci-fi MacGuffin to ricochet or amplify the cosmic energy into their bodies at the point of return, hence the powers, and then they get home somehow. Maybe something with their powers that they can power up something that they weren't able to power before on the planet. I, you know, some of the sci-fi MacGuffin sure, details sure. I don't need to worry about. But, um, and I hate to do another origin, but I don't see a convenient way to fit them in otherwise. Mm-hmm. So I'm okay with it. So let's stop there. What do okay. you think so far? I like the I like the the tying it in with the events of uh, everything we've seen before. I think you've got a good cover for why they weren't helping because it was more they became more or less empowered through the events of Infinity War and Endgame, right? Um, as opposed to needing to explain what they were doing in the meantime. You don't have the Captain Marvel problem, right? I'm with you on I I the idea that that like this is essentially like the, it's the family element that makes it important. 
Um, I, I definitely agree. And I think that the, the how you separate that from especially Guardians, because Guardians leans heavy into that family, but more like the Fast and Furious style, like this is the family we built kind of thing, as opposed to like, um, like this is the family you got <laughs> kind, right. of, uh, kind of arrangement. Um, do you have casting choices? I do. I'll get there. Let me continue. Okay. okay. Um, and I want to focus. The reason I chose Reed and Ben to survive on the planet was because I mm-hmm. thought that it helps to reinforce their tie together, but also put them through something pretty harrowing that they're going to remember for, you know, the rest of their lives. And, you know, just I think maybe tweak Reed a little bit in a way that makes them a little more Reed Richards esque, but also ties Ben to him even more strongly than before, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. So anyway, I'll move on. Um, so they arrive shortly after the end of, you know, Endgame, more or less. And, you know, when they arrive, it's in a it's in a time of decentralization. Right. Tony Stark's gone. Captain America's gone. Thor, it seems like left. You know, Vision is dead. It's it's the Avengers are no longer a thing. It's a time of decentralization. Here's where I kind of run into some trouble because I don't just want the Fantastic Four to become the new Avengers. And how do you make them as a distinct entity from the Avengers, which we know at some point they're going to bring back some form of the Avengers right in this universe. Not for a while, it looks like, but at some point it's going to happen. So how do you know this is a problem they have in the comics, right? How do you keep X-Men and Avengers and Fantastic Four and whatever other thousand groups they have separate from one another? It starts to get a little bit, you know, weird, right? Like it doesn't make any sense. So a couple of thoughts I had like, you know, oh, maybe they're state funded. I'm not really sure what the status of the Sokovia Accords are post-Thanos. Hmm. Is that a thing that's still happening and people care about? I don't know. Um, you know, there's always the classic, like, private entity, right? That's too close to the Avengers being funded by Tony Stark. Uh, and I really don't want Reed Richards to be a new Tony Stark, plot-wise. Mm-hmm. A.K.A. funding the larger superhero situation. So the best I've got is that it's, you know, this is something that's pulled from more recent comics is that they have they're they're a nonprofit. They're a science-based nonprofit called the Future Foundation. Um funded by the sales of uh Reed Richards inventions, like his patents for things. And um but their goal is to, you know, better mankind through technology, a purely philanthropic like goal, as opposed to, you know, hey, super capitalist plus we fight bad guys. So, you know, obviously Reed Richards is a technical source. Sue Sue's the head of it. We'll get back there. Uh, Human Torch is head of marketing and, you know, Ben hangs out. <laughs> I want to be one thing I want to be clear, though. I wanted to I don't want to tread too close to the Tony Stark Pepper Potts relationship, which is similar to how, you know, I'm envisioning Sue and Reed Richards. But I think we do that by basing like Sue as our main character for most of the movie. Um which gets a little weird with the snap. I have to think about that a little bit where she's not there for a bit. But to me, I think if you place her center as opposed to Pepper, who's more of like a side character, um, I think that positions it a little better. I still don't have it figured out how they don't end up just running the show and being the Avengers light or conflating the two organizations. Uh, but I think the fact that they don't exist in its current form, the Avengers don't exist in their current form. And a lot of the heroes are a little more decentralized doing their own thing or like more covert types whatever they're going to have, you know, their little spinoff shows and whatnot. I think that them being more science focused takes them. And this is where I start to get away from like a broader plot for the rest of the movie. I'm just trying to do kind of the setup and the context of each, how they fit into the story so far and some of the 
characters and casting. I think that being that they're more science focused, they're not like they're scientists first and superheroes second, as opposed to the Avengers who are superheroes first, science, you know, whatever else they do second. So they're not seeking out justice. They're going to typically what's going to happen is they're probably going to either discover or Richards is going to inadvertently cause something to happen, uh, which is going to cause them to react as opposed to sort of being a police force with, of superheroes. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not exactly sure how to fit in Dr. Doom as the villain here. I want him to be. I I mean, maybe he's with them on their first trip. Maybe he's not. I still have to think about that some more. But um, as far as to move on about what I've had so far was... Uh, the characterization I think is really important here because we have we have a lot of snarky white dudes in the MCU. Mm-hmm. So how do we overlap that here, particularly with concerns for Reed Richards and Johnny Storm? So Myrie Richards is keep them nerdy. They're all a bit older. They're not like in their late 40s, but they're not 20 somethings. They're probably like mid 30s. Um, keep him nerdy. Keep him mature. Maybe a little bit dry, like not even just like he's not even good. at He's not even funny. But not funny in a not like he's not funny in a funny way. Mm-hmm. He's not not funny in a funny way, is what I'm trying to say. Um, but he's also very wholesome and caring. You know, he, he he worries about his family. We still leave this sort of absent minded professor nature and just leave that little bit backdoor of always questioning how far Richards is going to go for the sake of discovery and science. Nothing that I think is going to overtly lead to like the ultimate Richards snare where he's like the maker and like actually just embraces his lawful evil nature. But just like sometimes he's going to just get a little too in over his head and make a mistake. And that's going to have to lead to an issue. Something in late thirties, early forties. And my casting choice is William Jackson Harper. Where do I know this person from? He plays Chidi on the good place. Interesting choice. Uh, I typecast here a little bit because, um, you know, it's things that are more recent in my mind. I'm also not the best at like remembering actors uh, and who they are and these kind of things. So I don't have cast choice for everybody, but I got a couple ones that I was, this one was one I was, I was passionate about and I really liked because I think he plays that well. Mm-hmm. Like it's a little bit of typecasting, but I think it works. I think this also leaves, you know, adds a little bit of diversity to the group. And I think it also adds a, from a marketing element, it, this is a person who's come off a very, very, very popular TV show, mm-hmm. a beloved character that is playing something kind of similar. That's a good place to get some buy-in, I think, for mm-hmm. people to watch it. Um, I think that leaves us with Human Torch being your standard blonde hair, blue eyed hothead. I think you make him a little younger, like a fresh college grad, maybe maybe grad school or something. Uh, you know, who knows? Maybe he hangs out with Spider-Man sometimes. But I think you you leave him relatively young. So I was thinking maybe um, some reason I couldn't get out of my head when I kept thinking Human Torch. And he might be too old at this point, but you could probably age him down a little bit via makeup and stuff. Uh, Justin Hartley. Does Karen watch This Is Us? She does. He's the the actor He's the brother. guy. He's that guy who he's that fits guy. that yeah, fits that description perfectly. <laughs> yeah. I also thought maybe Robbie Amell, if he's on a train, which thought would be funny because he played Firestorm on DC shows, but he might not be quite big enough yet. But you, you, you want a pretty boy. Uh-huh. Um, I think that that could be fun. And I think that you be make him a little dumb, you know, you just keep him a little dumb. Not like yeah. you want to be you want to be empathetic. You want to like him. He's uh-huh. not a complete asshole, but he's still a little dumb. Um. There's not a lot. The thing I struggle with, I think that he's a very interesting character and that his long arc narrative of his this transformation and his struggle with that and sort of that inner family tension of kind of blaming Reed for it, but also really caring about this family and being involved. Um, 
casting, I struggled. So like if Nick Offerman was like 10 years younger, I could maybe see it. But um, this one I wasn't sure about. I think there's a little flexibility on casting here. I actually really like the Michael Chiklis casting, to be honest. But um, I don't think you want someone that old. So you want to you want to get that new that gruff New York thing in there to be a rock for the group. Ah, jeez. And then this is with Sue. I said, for me, she'll be kind of the focus of the film. She's the leader of the operation and the organization. She's the mediator of the family, the maternal figure, right? She helps to maintain these relationships and and mediate some of the, you know, because some of these people don't get along all the time. Thing has resentment towards Reed because of the mistake, you know, the accident, you know, Reed and, and Johnny just are not the same person and have trouble getting along. She's the person who makes all these weirdos fit together. You know, she's super mom. Well, someday mom. She's not mom yet, but... You know, part of me was like casting. I was like, ooh, I just want to say Kristen Bell. But then we're moving into like weird parody territory. Uh, hmm. But someone like that. I'm going to steal some of your ideas. All right. That's fine. This is the goal, right? <laughs> to, to try and make something out of our two things. So, well, um, so so I think we were actually um, we were definitely uh, thinking alike on. I think it should be Sue's movie, not Reed's movie. Mm hmm. Because I think that um, that's one way you avoid just having this be, oh, uh, Tony Stark, Doctor Strange, Reed Richards. Got it. You know? Yep. Um, and I think that also, like, the MCU is is kind of a little too addicted to, like, just, you know, white dude super geniuses. Yeah. Um, and I think it's an interesting angle. And I think that, yeah, it needs to be more focused on the family dynamics than like because the power set of these characters is pretty weak versus what else has been in the MCU so far. You know? Yeah, yeah for sure. Like, so I think that you do need to kind of take a slightly different tone and maybe it can't be as big of an action spectacle. But I think that making it more of a family, maybe not a drama, but you know what I mean, mm -hmm. um, makes sense. Um, and I'm definitely stealing Nick Offerman for the thing. <laughs> I think it might be a little too old, but I don't know. Mm, not the way I'm going with it. Oh, right, right, right. Um, so should I dig into mine? Yeah, let's go. Okay. So I started mine by working backwards from my casting, which is probably not a great idea. But this <laughs> is why I'm, I do market research for a grocery store, not make movies. This is the only reason. <laughs> yeah, the only one. Um, so we were, you know, we were kind of chatting about this and I decided that my Reed Richards has to be Kyle MacLachlan. Okay. Um, listeners will know Kyle MacLachlan uh, most recently, uh, either as the mayor of Portland on Portlandia, or I think he was on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, but I've never seen Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, effectively on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, other folks will know him as Agent Dale Cooper from Twin Peaks. Paul Atreides from David Lynch's Dune, um, a character whose name I don't remember from David Lynch's Blue Velvet. He was also in uh, Showgirls, which all of us would like to forget. <laughs> but um, at this stage, he has what I think is like that perfect blend of like kind of like because because Reed Richards is kind of like a like he really is a 60s kind of guy, you know, like there's a little bit of father's knows best in there. And there's a little bit like there's a there's a kind of a wholesomeness. But he's also kind of a weirdo. Right. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that weirdo, but like still has a sense of wonder, um, wholesomeness 
like that's Kyle McLaughlin's whole deal. Um, so I said, okay. So Kyle McLaughlin is my Reed Richards, but he's older, um, which is good because I don't want to do an origin story for the most part. Like, ugh, we just do it in the first five minutes. We get it, you know, um, uh, and I like, you know, and I also it was hard for me as I worked through this to not make the Venture Brothers because the idea of like kind of a family drama based on like an aging super scientist like the Venture Brothers nailed that. So I can't really get too close to that. Um and my pick for Sue is probably an easy one, um, which is Laura Dern. Um, and I went there because I was like, well, I mean, if you're going to have Kyle McLaughlin, you're going to have Laura Dern. Right. And then I was like, oh, David Lynch will direct it. And I realized I was going way too far down the down the rabbit hole. But um, Laura Dern, you know, she's a fantastic actress. She's everywhere. She was Admiral Holdo in uh, Last Jedi. So having her be essentially the lead of my next Marvel movie will, you know, uh, make internet shitheads angry. So, uh, that's also a plus. Um, and then Nick Offerman for Ben Grimm and, uh, my Johnny, or yeah, Johnny Storm is Johnny Knoxville as himself, basically. <laughs> like I want, um, I want my human torch to be a hothead, but in a, uh, much more self-destructive way. And since my whole cast is older, um, you know, this, you know, Johnny Knoxville as like, you know, uh, essentially Johnny Knoxville, a guy who's just destroyed his body being dumb uh, this whole time. Um, so that's my main cast. Um, but I also think we need some kids um, to provide some tension because if you've got a family essentially of this age, like it's tough to really introduce a lot of like the relationships are completely mature at this point. Right. Um you know, you've got a married couple and they're in their 50s. They've been together for long enough, like but things are pretty much established. Um, so the kids are going to add some new dynamics. But um, I'm also going to introduce a lot of tension to their situation, um, uh, which also answers the question of what have they been doing this whole time? Um, so my Fantastic Four enter the MCU, you know, through some cosmic super sciencey nonsense um but the answer to the question of well what what were they doing this whole time my first thought was like oh they did their space travel stuff and then time dilation happened and they get back and they think it's still like 1980 and i was like that that you get a lot of good like jokes where like he's like a growing pain style dad trying to raise kids in you know the modern world but i was like eh, that feels a little too captain america -y. So instead, um, they are an established and mature superhero team by the time they arrive on the scene in the MCU. And that's because they're coming from a parallel universe mm. where all the events that we see in, in the MCU movie so far, they just didn't happen or they happen differently. Right. This is a parallel universe and you could do all kinds of cutesy things in the parallel universe flashback scenes. Right. You know, you could have an alternate Tony Stark who's like a janitor somewhere, you know, mm -hmm. like you could do it. And it would be oh, ha 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 ha. Um, but, you know, they get into some super science stuff and um, they basically come across into our universe um, and can't get back. So that's where the tension comes in. And that's the quote unquote accident. It's not the super science stuff that gave them their powers. Um, it's the fact that Reed Richards brought 
you know, he made a mistake that brought them to an entirely different timeline that they have to now get used to and learn about. And um, they can't get home. You know, mm-hmm. there is no there is no um, there is no getting back. And I think that um, what happens is um, in an attempt to get back, um, uh, Reed ends up bringing the entire country of Latveria over. <laughs> okay. Which gets you to a Doctor Doom who is, you know, a leader of an entire nation. But that's a nation we've never talked about so far in the MCU. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, you know, oh, oh, yeah, that one like Eastern European nation that's run by the guy in the metal suit. Yeah, I feel like we would have talked about that. Um, but and I know that I'm borrowing a little bit from Fringe here, so I apologize to Fringe. But that's the basic setup, and that's what gets them here. And I can still do some fish out of water stuff where if, you know, just the world they were coming from was different enough from our own that you can have some of that um And, you know, the kids, it's a little bit of the, you know, you get some of the same dynamics of like the family moved to a new town with teenagers. Yeah. (laughs) You know, except except the new town is an entirely different timeline. Um, uh, And as a bonus, because I've introduced a parallel universe, maybe if you want to have if you want to show some glimpses of Wolverine in your post credit scene, maybe you could have it. Mm. Um, but that's my basic setup. I don't know much more than that other than I want it to be less about how do we stop the big pillar of light that's going to destroy Manhattan and more about like, how do we keep the family together in this and try to solve some problem? Right. Um, and I, I think that the concept of like a little bit more of an aging team of superheroes, I think is something we haven't really explored and, um, the fact that maybe when they get here, they're a little underpowered versus our superheroes. I think it's, you know, like you could work that in. Like, it's like, yeah, well, just being a big, a big, strong rock guy was enough back where I came from. Yeah. No, uh, kind of like a, yeah, like an underdog mentality. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's like, you know, I can stretch. And then Dr. Strange is like, I can rewind times. <laughs> okay. Congratulations. Yeah, I oh I, I like it. I like it is a good. I think the thing I like best is I mean like the aging aging hero stuff. I I like. Um, although I assume you're not going to have Franklin be as powerful as I don't think so, or at least not outwardly. Right? Like maybe we'll hint at it a little bit, but right. It's also I also realize like one of the tough things about Fantastic Four is that um it butts up against the Incredibles so much. Right. Um, which I've never seen. It's okay. It's fine. Um, I almost watched it before, so I didn't want to like unknowingly lift something from that in this process. <laughs> but it's 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 just tough because there's a lot of and and that's you know like the Incredibles borrows from like you know it's a it's a clearly borrows from Fantastic Four, but you gotta it's like you're kind of hemmed in here because it's like there's so many so much has been built on top of Fantastic Four since. You know, over the years that it's like, well, you kind of got to avoid the, you know, there's a lot of Venture Brothers that brushes up against it. There's a lot of uh, the Incredibles. And then also, like, you've you've really got to be careful with Reed Richards because he could become Rick Sanchez very easily. Yeah. Um, So you're really hemmed in in a lot of ways. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think that 
some of the things, some of the things, some of the dynamics that I really wanted to make sure that I hope are included in this movie, however they handle it. And one thing I wanted to include in my idea was, you know, just like, how do you, and this is what I didn't really get to, but like, how do you get the Dr. Doom dynamic two ways? One is your method of just dropping Latvary in the middle of Eastern Europe is a pretty good way to get him to be as menacing and ridiculous as he mm-hmm. is. Because he is both, but in a cool way. Yes. And seeing, you know, Dr. Doom's origin story is not particularly interesting or exciting. You want to see Dr. Doom at his peak, right? Yeah. Um, so that's That was a tough one I couldn't crack. So that's a good way to do that. I But the other thing I like that I always think was something that you don't see a lot is just that there's always that thing in comic books of like, Oh, sometimes you have to team with, team with the villains or the heroes have to team with, you know, whatever. But like nothing like the relationship between Dr. Doom and the Fantastic Four. Like he's almost part of the family, mm-hmm. but like they named their daughter after her, after him. You know what I mean? Like it, it's like his relationship to them of like partially hatred, partially like jealousy. And I think that we we want to make it more jealousy over their family unit as opposed to just jealousy over Sue Storm because that feels a little icky. Yeah. Yeah. Um her being the point of jealousy for both Dr. Doom and Namor that worked in the sixties, but it's not going to work now. <laughs> um, so making more like, just like the family they have, I think would be what he'd be jealous of. Uh, but then how do you, I don't know. It still seems like a tough thing, a tough needle to thread there, but yeah, because it's, it's, I mean, one thing I, I'm thinking about like, and you know, it's tough because I mean, Tony Stark's dead in, in, in the MCU timeline, but the idea of like, what if the world that they're coming from is actually a more utopian, like modern day because of the way Reed Richards, like, whereas Tony was like, Oh no, I'm going to sell this stuff. You know? Right. I'm, I'm an arms dealer. Whereas what if Reed Richards was more like, you know, like, like again, it's more like future foundation stuff. Like I patent this stuff, but then I give it away and we've all got flying cars now. Um, yeah, I mean, it'd be cool if like, oh, this is cool. I like this idea a lot. Okay, so if you're going to go the parallel universe route, then you could say like the science is just slightly different there, right? Like mm-hmm. physics just works a little different and therefore, you know, Reed has to not relearn everything, but he can't just be like, oh, yeah, here's all my inventions. Right, go. right. Or, or, or there's all kinds of stuff that like, 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 you know, it's all built on a bunch of stuff I built back in the 60s, you know? Right. Yeah. And so he's trying to work that out. But it'd be fun if kind of one of the main thrusts of each of their like outings as a movie, um, you can almost make a picture for like that a TV show would be better in this context, mm-hmm. but where like he's trying to recreate or create some like an invention to help the world. And it leads to some conflict of some kind, whether it's with Doom, whether it's with something with crazy outer space stuff or other parallel dimensions or whatever. But at the end of it, he, they solve the problem. He gets to create the invention. And now that invention is part of the MCU and they integrate it fully as they move forward. Wouldn't that be cool? Man, but it it is exactly like the 80s sitcom, um, like 80s family sitcom, uh, a template because it's always, you know, it was always the husband had some kind of harebrained scheme. Yeah, you're right. And the conflict of the episode was he creates a big mess with his harebrained scheme and the wife has to like, has to like fix it all, you know, before yeah. the episode ends. 
Oh, man. <laughs> because that was like my original skeleton idea was this kind of, you know, he's literally like a sitcom dad from the 80s. Like he's Alan Thicke from Growing Pains. But Bob he's Saget. got these kids that are like modern kids. And also they're all superheroes. And I was like, this feels a lot more like a Netflix TV show. Um, but uh, but yeah, like him, you know, him being the inventor again, although you don't really need him now that you've got Smart Hulk. But um it's true. But maybe that that might that might not be a permanent salute. You know, that might the Hulk is a volatile individual. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's not naturally a problem when you have like 30 super geniuses running around in one world. But well, and when you're and, and, and that's one of the problems with like the Marvel, the MCU model is that you've got a lot of character overlap just generally, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and and. It's fine in the comics that like uh, maybe maybe Tony Stark and Stephen Strange are kind of the same guy. You know, it's like that's yeah, kind of fine. Um, and it's like, ah, yeah, maybe it, it's kind of fine that the Hulk and the thing have basically the same powers. It's fine. They're in their own books, you know. But mm-hmm. then when you start to bring them all together, you're like, well, what are we doing here? <laughs> what does this guy really bring to the table? But um, I think there's ways around it with smart but also, plotting and writing. And also it's. Like, we have to remember that, you know, we want to make a Fantastic Four movie that maybe will someday interface with some kind of team up. Right. Right. Like, you don't like you don't want to get too wrapped up in like, oh, well, geez, if these two are in the same movie, how's it going to be? You know, it's like, eh, let's not let's not yeah. worry about that too much right now. You know, that make it work. I mean, in reality, like a lot of the heroes, even in our current, you're like a lot of them just like to put like are pretty good at punching. So, yeah, there's plenty for them to do. So. And I think yeah. with some of the smart directing and action sequencing we've seen from Whedon, from the Russos, the Russos, like they find a place for everybody to like. Shine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think they've, they've, that's one thing they do really well. So I'm not too worried about that as much. And I think that, you know, as far as strength goes, like, yeah, thing and human torch are a little like they're pretty one dimensional. You know, it's like he punches things. He's fire. Cool. Uh, Looks good on screen, but not crazy. But Reed's powers, I mean. He's never goes like full plastic man where it's just like you're an invincible god made of jelly. But, you know, you get you get some weird stuff with his powers that you can get creative with. And I think Sue's like, you know, yeah, she's invisible, which is part of her thing. But I think the fact that, you know, more importantly down her, like her like force fields and stuff are can be cool visually. And once again, do some interesting things. So, yeah. And I'm I'm thinking less of this. I'm thinking less of this as like a big action movie, too. Like to me, this this feels smaller. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it is more of a fam, a movie about a family um, coping with, you know, a, a huge change in their circumstances. Um, and, you know, it's 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 less about the powers because, yeah, they're kind of lame. Um, <laughs> and also, like, some of them are kind of OP, like you can turn invisible. Yeah, I feel like you won. <laughs> right. Right. Um, uh, yeah. And, and I feel like at that point, it's, it's more. Yeah, it's other things. Who can play Dr. Doom? That's the question, right? Who can fucking do it? I sat here for a long time and just try to think, like, who can play Dr. Doom? I mean, if, we, it, if they wouldn't it, have had um, what was the guy who played? What's, I, I'm so bad for his name. What's the guy's name who played the bad guy in Dr. Strange? Oh, uh, Mads Mikkelsen. Yeah, like if they wouldn't use him, I maybe I could see that he's pretty menacing and like a little exotic. He is. Um, it's tough because because you need somebody who can do Eastern European, and in which case it's like, yeah, Mads Mikkelsen, like right, he's right. great at being vaguely, 
vaguely Russian-ish. Um, but okay, so if Mads Mikkelsen is off the table, sadly. Um, oh, you know another guy? Sorry, um, another guy who I had on my list that is off the table because they're in the, they're joining the MCU soon. But I had David Harbor as the thing. Yeah, that's 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 pretty spot on. But now he's what, Red Guardian or whatever his name yeah. is. So. So who is Doc? I mean, I could see John Hamm because I like the idea of there was one there was one version of Doctor Doom where um, when they finally took his mask off, he was like this gorgeous guy who just had some little scar, like one little scar on his cheek. And he wasn't this horribly disfigured person we've been led to believe. And it was just this statement on his vanity. Mm-hmm. Um, but. I, I don't think John Hamm, like, I'm never going to believe him as some Eastern European monster man. And you want them to spend a lot of time in the mask. Yeah. Um, Hugo Weaving is pretty good with a mask. That's true. But he was already the Red Skull. Yeah. Rats. I tried to quick Google, like, just to get some fodder, like, Doctor Doom casting. Weirdly, uh, the list I'm looking at now, I'll go through a couple of them. So it's just freaking CBR list bait bullshit but uh christopher waltz that's just what i was thinking i was like that's the easy choice which i had that thought as well but i thought he just isn't quite i'm not sure um, and, and he's played out like i, I just seen a lot of him yeah um not, number nine was john ham so there you go you got on your list ben mendelson mm, maybe ben, no because he's already uh what's his oh, name oh yeah the, he's already the, the scroll. scroll guy yeah hugh laurie yeah. no thank you oh let me think about that. Dan Stevens? I don't know who that is. Legion? I don't know. Oscar Isaac. Hmm. Yeah, nope. Sorry. Two pre Michael Fassbender. Uh nope. Nope. No. Rami Malik? Mm, he wouldn't work with mine. He's too young. Yeah. Who's Cillian Murphy? Oh, he's the uh, scarecrow. scarecrow. Yeah. Too young. No. And like too too weasley. Yep, exactly right. Too easily. The guy who played um, my uh uh the guy who played um Jamie Lannister, Nicolaj Costarado. I don't know about that. Maybe. Hmm. I maybe I, I could actually maybe see that one. Hmm. What I want to build to is I want to build to the point where you have Black Panther in charge of a country, Namor somewhere there in charge of a country, and Doctor Doom getting in some like three way war. That's what that's the movie I really want to see. But Doctor Doom, so tough, man. You know, like you going through like your list of like, oh, just you know, when you need a villain, you know, like okay, right. Jason Isaacs. No, too British. Ooh, Viggo Mortensen. Viggo Mortensen. Yeah, he'd work on your in your older version for sure. Yeah, that's all right. I could and, see that, and and he can do he can do Eastern European. Uh, Russian promises or Eastern promises was a hell of a movie. Um, yeah, I, I think Viggo Mortensen is your Doctor Doom. Apparently, this was a rumor in like the fall that I completely missed. But uh, yeah, fuck yeah, I'm in. Yeah, done. Viggo Mortensen, <laughs> that's your boy. Here's a really good Photoshop picture of Mad Mads Mikkelsen as Doctor Doom. Though looks pretty good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he can't be every bad guy. Uh, yeah, okay. But more important question: Who's gonna play Mole Man? Uh. The Mole Man. <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, yeah, and I, I just, I really, I think it'd be cool to see, I think, given the framework the MCU has set up with the Doctor Strange stuff, I think having a, a full-on Doctor Doom who's, like, master of tech and magic in a different way, it would be cool. Yeah. It would be cool. Yeah, Mads Mikkelsen really would have been perfect. What a waste. <laughs> yeah. Um, But yeah, Viggo Mortensen. Yeah. 
But the key with Dr. Doom, I think, is to keep that like that lawful evil, evil nature. Right. He's still like noble in his own way. And, you know, you can't cross over into mustache twirling villain too much and also finally get a villain that actually doesn't die at the end of the movie. Yes. Well, and I think that like one of the interesting things with Dr. Doom is, you know, you could really set up a. So what if Dr. Doom in, you know, in, in our movie is not um, um, he's not so much a super villain, right? In the traditional sense. Yeah, he's a weirdo. Don't get me wrong. But what if it's more like his relationship with Reed Richards is more like um, Reed Richards is like, yeah, I'm a uh, you know, I'm I'm a. I'm a private citizen. I'm an inventor, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, also, there is a head of state in Eastern Europe who really, really doesn't like me. <laughs> right. Like who has a personal grudge against me and um, like almost like the Trump Bezos thing. Right. Um, but superheroes. Um, also, I like Dr. Doom. Right. <laughs> uh, it's but you know what I mean? So it's it's maybe Dr. Doom isn't your v- like your like your villain villain like we've got to kill him and stop him like he's an antagonist mm-hmm. like he's making things harder for our characters but he's not necessarily like the villain that must be overcome um i'm trying to think of a good example of of some something like this um so like um like mike in breaking bad mm-hmm. in later seasons where he's like he's he is like he's an antagonist, like he's making Walt's life harder and he's sometimes on Walt's side and he's sometimes not. But it's not about Walt versus Mike, really. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and then if then later on you want to do something where like, yeah, now it's actually like there's an actual war between Latveria and Wakanda. And but we haven't set up Latveria as like, oh, here's like the villainous Dr. Doom plotting to, you know, blow up the sun or anything it's you know it's more like oh no like yeah we're probably rooting for wakanda but this is more like actual geopolitics instead of just like you know we've got to stop the bad guy from using his death ray right like maybe in and you know you hate to make everything with wakanda about uh about vibranium but um right it's a resource war but yeah like maybe in dr doom's in parallel universe he came from all his tech was built using vibranium and that was how Latveria was prosperous but in this new world he doesn't have access to it because wakanda's got a monopoly on it and his people are suffering and starving or something like that oh man in 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 the prime timeline right we know that wakanda was never colonized Mm -hmm. in the fantastic four timeline it was colonized by latveria oh shit but a hundred you know hundreds of years ago so now you've got some weird like well you know yeah, post-colonial kind of whatever. Um, yeah, but I do like the idea of like maybe Doctor Doom isn't as much your villain as he is just a thorn in the side, at least in the f- introduction. You know what I mean? Yeah, and like and like still like power hungry and like resource hungry, right? Like he's trying to you know get something that Reed wants, and right. maybe they scuffle about it in the middle of the movie, and then maybe the movie they have to, maybe they have to team up, and sometimes they do, and sometimes they don't, and like that's just sort of their relationship back and forth, but. Um, almost like a Loki, you know what I mean? Like yes, we have this model set up, like, you know, and that's part of that is a more of just like a transition from full villain to anti-hero slash redeemed, redeemed villain by the end of his arc. Although who knows where his arc will take him now, but, uh, thus far, at least in the MCU. So we, I don't think we want to, we want to keep him a bad guy, but not, like I said, not a villain necessarily. Right. He's, he's an antagonist, but I don't think you want to make him 
evil, right? And you don't want to set up a situation where, like, we've got to, def- like, you have to defeat him and then, like, lock him up in superhero jail and then, oh, I'll get you next time, Reed Richards, you know, like. Well, I've seen Lethal Weapon too. He just screams diplomatic immunity and that's fine, you know. <laughs> Or maybe you have some situation that, like, the geopolitical, like, state or situation just, like, seriously does not allow him to be compromised in that way, right? Like, it would disrupt the balance of power in the world if he's not leading Latveria or something along those. I don't know. Right. Well, or, or you know, it's like you can't take action. Against, he's a head of state and they haven't done anything wrong. You know what I mean? Right. Like, we can't let you, Reed Richards, just go and assassinate a foreign leader. <laughs> Right. I don't care that he stole your cosmic cube, dude. <laughs> you you can't just assassinate a foreign leader. Um, in the same way, we're like, look, we all know Kim Jong Un is bad, but we can't just kill him. <laughs> like that's just that that just doesn't have that's not how things go. Right. Um. Uh. Yeah. Okay. Like in this picture. Yeah. I mean, I think, and I'm mad because you won me over to your movie idea instead of my movie idea, but I'm gonna let it slide for now. Uh. I yeah, think but yours that, yours could well uh, the trapped on the the trapped on the alien planet thing could be a flat could be flashbacks. That's true. That could be our our flashback origin story. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And then I think I think the only thing I like to revise in that initial idea was incorporate uh Doom somehow, and because like his his origin must be somewhat tied into their origin to make I don't, for that. I don't know. I mean, I feel like if you're gonna go the long run with this, you don't have to reveal his origin right away. You know. Maybe not reveal it, but I think that like his rise to power must be somehow intertwined with Reed's rise. Right. Otherwise, I don't think you have the dynamic there that's necessary for there. But but do you need that all in movie one or could you just um, you could just you could know that they have a past together and. You know, the doom, you know, he's this guy, he's got a mask on and, you know, there's all this stuff. Um, and then you could unpack it later. You leave it a little bit mysterious and then you and then you find out later on that like, oh, they were in college together and they had this rivalry and, you know. Yeah, that's that's fair. That's fair. I guess I just I want to make sure that there's some sort of. Some sort of ve- like very serious. I don't know what it is, but very serious drama between the two that that breeds this that makes a, a believable, you know, more as believable as anything in a comic movie is like both rivalry that borders on hatred, but also borders on respect and jealousy. All these really complex emotions, I think, need to be there to make it like what I mm-hmm. envision as their relationship, which I think you said, you, which given that you could have in your model a 30 year history between the two of them yeah. can go without having to actually show it all would go a long way. And yeah, like you said, like, you know, you have a lot of room to play with, like maybe every once in a while they somehow make it back temporarily to the other place or some, you know, or something happens where they can, it, you know, parallel universes is just like a very fantastic fourth thing. I feel like, and maybe you, maybe that's their expertise, maybe part of their movies or whatever they're going out on is like, Oh, you know, this resource doesn't, exist in this timeline so i have to go to a different timeline to try and find it for my my invention or something like that and then you can kind of do some fun things like that it opens some doors in that direction which i think you know is was bound to happen at some point so i think the i mean my conclusion so far is that like there's enough here to do something cool yeah i think you have to i think that you really need to stretch out of the traditional marvel movie mold of you know sexy young actors 
and this is the first adventure. I think you gotta, you gotta figure out a way around that. Um, and you know, because I'm so tired of the origin story. Yeah, I get it. And, um, and you know, I, I think that, you know, at no point in, in the, in the Marvel universe, with the exception of kind of Captain Marvel, but they never really paid it off is this idea of like, you're coming in to this hero at their peak, you know, Mm -hmm. like, they're they're in command of their powers and you know um and they have a history um yeah that's what i'd like to see i think that and and if you stick with the either jumping out into space or jumping into parallel timelines that's a good reason for them not to be like the world protectors right and also that they're not quite as powerful as yeah some of the others but like you can have large swaths where it's like you know Oh, God, you know, uh, Kang's here to fuck with whatever. And it's like, where's the Fantastic Four? Like, oh, they're they're just not here. Like, they haven't been here for six months. Like, they went off on an adventure. They're not back uh, for a while. space, I guess. Yeah, or something. So, um, but like, since spaces are getting crowded with other people we have, too, like maybe the parallel universes is a better place to go. I don't know. I always remember that one of my favorite um, little Reed Richards bits was in the original Civil War. Or I guess it was after the original Civil War because his role in that was one that was not a positive portrayal, right? Because he, the main thing being that he created that Thor clone that kind of went on a rampage and killed some people. <laughs> and he felt very guilty about it. So he made a machine that sent little drones into like other, deme- other parallel timelines. Mm-hmm. And he just wanted to see like, how do we emerge? How do we butt up into this Civil War? situation and what was like the correct way out and he got so obsessed with trying to find the correct way that he just like got this weird like analysis paralysis and just like was just like combing over millions and millions of parallel timelines trying to find the perfect set of events and perfect decision making to to avoid what happened and it was like that's such such a Reed Richards thing to do and that's Mm -hmm. something that I think has a lot of that mentality and that headspace I think could be fun for a movie space especially if you have good people portraying it yeah and i think that if you make it less about um you know how does reed solve the problem right because also if it's if it's a if it's a analysis problem figuring out the solution like and if if reed is the center of our our view there like that's not watching characters solve puzzles is not good movies no but seeing how his obsession impacts the family through sue's eyes is probably a much more interesting way to look at the problem. You know what I mean? Definitely. Um, and, you know, where he is, you know, he gets obsessed with a problem or, um, uh, you know, ends up going down a dark path, you know, and, and, it's, and, and she has to pull him out of it, you know? Right. I think, and I think that's why I got so stuck on my good place recommendations, like comparisons. I just like, I just kept, the only the most similar relationship I could think of to that is like cheating Eleanor in yeah. Good Place. I just kept coming back to that and being like, this is kind of that, but in a superhero setting. Right. I mean, I think Sue Storm it shouldn't be a, an asshole like Eleanor is most no. of the time. But but you know what I mean? They're like that. Just like you've got this. And, and it's and it's in a way that's not that can come across really condescending, like Big Bang Theory kind of shit. Like, oh, the nerd who needs the pretty girl to like get him out of his shell and help him solve the issue too. And it's like, they do it so good on so well in the good place to show that it's like this balanced relationship. And, and I don't know. I just think there's a lot, you can kind of mine some of that feeling and put mm-hmm. it into this. I think it go a long way. Yeah. And there's, there's, 
there's such an obvious like message about her being invisible right. in the relationship, you know? Yeah. I feel like the comics have probably done that 70 times, but like there's something there. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's tough to not make it about like, oh, it's the woman's job to save the family and keep it together. You know, mm-hmm. like that's not the vibe you want it to take. No. Um, but also, like, I do think that some thought needs to be given to, you know, like, what are their roles pre-superhero, right? In the super science part of it, like, okay, Johnny's like a pilot and they needed a pilot. Okay, maybe. And Reed is a super scientist. Fine. What were Sue and Ben's roles before they get on the spaceship, you know? Right. That's the question. I mean, I think, the, I think the answer was that they're all scientists, but that seems like weird. I don't really like that vibe, but. Right. Because it's just tough in a movie, I think, to make like Ben Grimm also be a science guy, you know, to have him have the personality that he has, but also be a science guy. Right. Is tough. Because like, I think in the comics, it's supposed to be like, oh, he has like multiple engineering degrees and he's like the builder as opposed to like. He's like more like the mechanic. Yeah. You know, I, or what? Or he, and he was a pilot, too, I think. I don't fucking know. But what's Sue's role? I don't even remember. Like, we've got to come up with a good, like, what was Sue doing before she met Reed? And right. it has to be equal to Reed. You know, it's not just the, the pretty girl who went to college to find a rich scientist to marry. Right. Like that. No. Right. Um, But I also think. You know, they can't just be like you want them to be equals, but not necessarily in the same field. Right. Because having three or four of them all be super geniuses is not right. a fun dynamic in the field of super science, you know, um, you know, but if but if but if Reed's got five PhDs in physics and chemistry and, you know, all that, like what are Sue's PhDs in? Right. I mean, and the you, lazy you answer it. is like psychology and philosophy because that's girl stuff. Right. Um, and I guess home ec. <laughs> but um, I would say, I mean, you can maybe frame it that like hers are in like, I don't know, like she's got her MBA from wherever and her like leadership skills and her project management. You know, she's the person that keeps Reed science afloat. working towards going something and keeps the business moving and, and gets the the deals to, you know, get funding for this and that and these kind of things. Like she's the brains of the operation that actually provides the science brains. Yeah, and but if if you make her girl boss, you know, yeah. hashtag girl boss, like I feel like that again, you gotta work within certain movies, like stereotypes. Like it's tough to have somebody who is like the business genius, but also like is relatable and you know? Yeah. Yeah. These are I mean, the setup of how they end up where they are and in how they get their powers is something that I mean, you can probably get around some of that. But then the longer dynamic is, I think, the bigger concern because you say, oh, why are they on the mission? It's like, well, you know, something exploded and they happen to be in the next room or whatever. Okay, but I think that, yeah, the longer dynamic of how they interact and and it's the hard part because this is where it's going to probably most work is like. It's the most important part of the movie to our points about the family and the relationships. But how do you make that work? And no one's a trope and no one's a stereotype. Each one of these characters needs to have a personal history, right? That 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 is going to inform who they are. Reese is the most clearly drawn. Um, I think it's getting them all onto a spaceship is probably a little less important if we're not telling the origin story. Mm -hmm. You know, if it's. We probably don't need to worry too much about, you know, well, why did you need why did you need the the 
Brooklyn Punch Man on the spaceship if um, if that's not the main thrust of the story, you know. But I do think that, like, they all need to have enough of a background that makes the relationships make sense today, you know. Yeah, I mean, you could sort of put it that in this other timeline, you know, if things are a little more utopian, like, if, so, if someone asks, like, wait, why were you on the spaceship? Like, why well, was his best friend? Of course I would go. Why would like, I be know, on the spaceship? Yeah, exactly. You could frame it that way. Um, yeah. What I mean, what if there were aliens? <laughs> he needed a bodyguard, you know? Right. Um, but yeah, what, you know, where does, what's Sue's background? Um, yeah, I think we don't have to worry about getting him on the spaceship as much, but she still needs to have something, you know. Mm-hmm. Also, I'm going to push back. I don't like the Johnny Knoxville thing. That's too much for me. <laughs> I see where you're going with it, but it's not for me. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> um, I'm I I I I I'd be willing to um, you know. Well, the tough part I think is it's also like there's a um, there's like certain slots like that each one of these needs to fit into, you know. Mm-hmm. Like id, ego, and super ego, or like that's one way to look at it, and um. Uh, or like it's, it's bad because you got four, but basically like the Ninja Turtle archetypes, you've got the nerd, um, the, you know, the, the, um, leader type, the hothead and the party dude. Right. Um, and you can just kind of like slot, you know, it's like if you, if you map those four archetypes on a lot of four person setups in like sitcoms and stuff like you can find him anywhere. Um, uh, you know, like, so, okay. So Jerry is Leonardo. George is Donatello. Kramer is Michelangelo. And Elaine is Raphael. Like, you can, um, you can kind of superimpose it anywhere. So maybe that's what you do. And you yeah. say, okay. So that makes Reed, he's definitely Donatello. So he's much more, like, shy and bookish and nerdy. Um, Johnny is your, is your party dude. He's all, um, you know, he's all id, like it's just all impulse and just want to have fun. And then, um, the thing is Raphael, um, you know, so that's, you know, he's, um, grumpy brooding. Yep. And then, um, and then Sue is your Leonardo. Nobody likes Leonardo. Uh, maybe, but this is one point I want to go back to the rumors of Joss Whedon, directing or writing or something because one thing i think he does well in a lot of his ensemble shows is he doesn't he tends to not stick by those cliches and breaks mm-hmm. them a little bit i mean i think he picks one or two characters that kind oh, of yeah. fit into a mold right you look at like the crew of firefly like yeah nathan fillion's kind of just like a classic cowboy you know yeah you're harrison ford or whatever but the rest of the group it's like you've got a married couple and you know there's a weird girl stereotype i guess as well but like Everyone plays a role in that show that's important, but I don't think you could slot them in the same way that yeah. you just laid it out. And I think that's a strength of his and a lot of his shows for the ensemble method. So I think he could maybe take like some of these some of these difficulties you might with some smart plotting and writing, you could probably work out. But you, you but you start with something like that and that gives you like the basic um like the building blocks of the various interactions, right? Right. Um uh it's um and 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 that's where some of the you know some of the dynamics come in and then you can you, obviously you want to deviate from that a little bit because otherwise it becomes too uh formulaic but also okay so homer is michelangelo marge is leonardo 
Bart is Raphael, Lisa's Donatello. <laughs> Who's Maggie, though? Maggie does. Maggie's not a character. She's a prop, and we know it. That's true. That's um, true. I mean, I think those are fair slots from the B, and I think those all make sense. Yeah, and but and you use that as like as just a general starting point, and it's like then you've got like, but also those they those ideas far predate the Ninja Turtles. Like those sure. go back sure. to like you know, like the very earliest forms of like theater, uh, like Commedia dell'arte uses similar archetypes as well. Um, because, um, you know, that's, those are like fundamental building blocks and you can take any two of those and put them in a situation and you see where the conflicts are, you know? Yeah. Um, any three of them and you, you can just kind of mix and match and, um, uh, but yeah, what if you flip them around a little bit and what have you made? Sue the Donatello. <laughs> But yeah, like, but if you think about it that way, like Sue is more cautious and studious, um, but you make Reed, he's your, he's actually your Raphael, right? So he's like impulsive and he's constantly chasing down wild ideas, right? Yeah. So you could kind of move these things around and, and, and get yourself somewhere, but. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that I like your idea a lot. I think that, like you said, if you kept it, if you, if my conclusion is if you keep it smaller and a little more out there, I think. I think in some ways the um, the Spider-Man movies are kind of a mm-hmm. similar vibe where it's like they're smaller stories. They're a little more personal, not end of the world, whatever, uh, a little more about what it's about. Right. Which is in this case, you know, like growing up and and dealing with that. But in these cases, yeah, I think you're on to something. I think we're on to something. Right. We did it together. Did it together. Although I'm sticking by my uh, William Jackson Harper casting because I love it. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I, if I needed to be persuaded to go with a younger cast, I would be, I would be with you a hundred percent. Yeah. Well, so we solved Fantastic Four, we just like it. we've solved Star Wars and, you know, every other thing we've solved on this show. So whenever Marvel wants to give us buckets of money for our ideas. Yes. I'll take half a bucket at this point. Yeah. Even just a couple drops from the bucket. Yeah. It's a big bucket. <laughs> it's, a, it's a big bucket. So, uh, it, it, I mean, Greg, remember when you asked this? Actually, I just realized something. This is the whole coronavirus thing is all your fault because uh, you said you wanted a break from Marvel. I guess I'm getting it. And you're yeah, getting a real it. monkey's paw situation here. I'm getting a break from everything. Yeah, yeah, you really, really are. Um, so because I think that Black Widow got pushed to October or November. And that's like probably a tentative push date that's at this rate. Optimistic. Yeah. So um, you might have a whole damn year of year and a half of no Marvel plus. I know. And all I the know. shows got delayed because I can't film anywhere. They just and they just like had to like stop Batman. They're like 25 percent done. And I'm like, I don't know what we're going to do. <laughs> we yeah. have to stop making Batman. <laughs> Come back a year later. It's gonna I, be I guess is there going to be a um, are we going to have like a, a, a big blip where like be, like what what the writer strike was, however that was eight, nine years ago, 10 years ago, whenever that was where like there's just going to be like we're already having this big pause. Some stuff's going to get backlogs. So they'll have it. But then like, is there going to be a six months or a year where it's just like, well, no one could do anything. So, yeah, you know, we just couldn't film like people be writing and stuff, but like we couldn't film anything. We couldn't build any props. We couldn't whatever. So. Yep. I know I did read that they're looking for like countries that are less affected that would be open to taking, you know, filming to try and change some of these movies around to actually get them out, uh, which is questionable. But yeah, I don't know how you solve this. I mean, I think that you're going to see some attempts at innovation where it's like um, it's going to be all weird, like green screen composited stuff. 
Yeah, probably. Which, like, if that interactive Kimmy Schmidt, there is some weird stuff going on in there, man. <laughs> With compositing and things that look like they were shot, not only on different days, but, like, months apart. Like, oh. they just go to a shot, reverse shot, and you're like, that person looks six months older than they did in the last shot. I don't know <laughs> what happened here, but it's weird. <laughs> That's not good. Yeah, there's some weirdness to it. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, you know, it's caused a number of things get pushed back like the uh the last seven or so episodes of supernatural the final season just got it's, halted because shows like that you know they film like only a couple weeks ahead of where they're releasing like the show the episodes it's never gonna end it's never gonna end um as opposed you know just like different style like older style got more affected than the shows that like you know, netflix probably has fucking 30 shows in the tank just like lined up ready to be released right who knows who knows um but yeah, so, well, I enjoyed our Fantastic Four discussion. Yeah, I'm actually kind of, like, kind of into it now. Yeah, kind of looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, at some point, we'll have to tackle how to... We, we kind of did a, a brief foray into X-Men that one time. But yeah. it'd be interesting to do a full dive like this and how you slot it in. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, we have to stop because we were already talking for two and a half hours. No, no, I'm not saying we should now. I'm saying at I know, some but like, point. I'm already... It's not... But like now my brain's already starting. I'm like, OK, well, here's a no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> this is all the pent up creative energy you haven't been able to use because you've been so busy with work and stuff. No, that's the problem is I haven't had any creative energy. I'm too busy trying to figure out how to figure out the how to sell tomatoes or something. Figure out it, it is surprisingly difficult to figure out how many customers uh, left you because you didn't have toilet paper and haven't come back yet. That's hard to find out. Yeah, I bet it is. Harder than it would than it seems. Well, Greg, if it's any consolation, I'm still going to Giant every other week or so. So Well, that's that's good to hear. <laughs> I'm even though that again, that's a different giant. Not my company. Wait, really? We've been over this, man. I Pennsylvania that- Giants and Maryland Giants are technically two different companies, even though we have the same parent. Oh, okay. But like technically same parent, so some small fraction of when I buy eggs goes to you. No. Oh, no. Okay. Well, in my head, it does. And I'm going to keep that headcanon going for now. Well, uh, here's here's how to think about it. Um, if if the Pennsylvania Giants uh, have a profitable year, then, um, you know, the Maryland Giants, uh, we're not on the hook for bailing y'all out like we've been bailing out Stop and Shop. Oh, OK. So it kind of helps indirectly but no. no see perfect i was right the whole time okay good great fantastic <laughs> all right it's late uh, we talked for a long time tonight it was good to catch up i miss you i miss you too buddy i, I mean we say that so we actually never see each other in person but i feel like when we're both in the office working we talk a lot more because you know you're in the office working and when you're at home there's a lot more other things to distract yourself with no it's honestly i have since we've been working from home, like it is the busiest I've been in living memory because wow. because the nature of of the situation and the work I have to do, it, it's just been busy. It's not because I've been like, oh, no, I've just been I, all the minutes at work. I would be chatting with you. Instead, I'm playing with my daughter. It's like, no, no, I'm just busy. Well, hang in there. All right. You too. And every all our listeners hang in there. Yes. Stay smart.